This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Ten years ago, we were all going through our pre-match routine for the final game of the 2011-12 season. The situation was simple. Beat QPR and everybody inside the Etihad would witness City winning their first league title in 44 years. Roberto Mancini's side were going into the game, level on points with Manchester United at the top of the table. But crucially, they were leading the league because of a better goal difference. Nobody could have been expecting what happened next, as City ended up needing two stoppage time goals to win the game and win the title. Welcome to this special show where we'll be remembering everything that happened on the 13th of May in 2012 with many of our regular fan and journalist voices on the Blue Moon podcast. I'm David Mooney and for this first part of the show I'm joined by Kieran Murray. Hello Blue. And from statcity.co.uk Adam Carter. Hello. Um, so Adam we'll, we'll start with you. Um, how much how much of this game were you expecting? Like I made it sound really simple in the intro there. City just had to turn <laughs> up and win the game. How much were you expecting yeah. that to happen? I was quietly confident before the game. I think I had the sense that the games against United and Newcastle were the job done games that had led up to this and that had put us in this position where this was the nice and easy celebration day. We're lifting the trophy, it's party atmosphere. And uh, obviously I was I was later <laughs> led to be wrong, but I was expecting a walk in the park because we'd done all the hard bit, surely, in the Newcastle and the United games. Yeah, we. I mean, were you at any point, in as the seconds were ticking by and obviously City were losing the game to 10 men, yeah. were you at any point, like even, even feeling a bit guilty for feeling like that earlier in the day? <laughs> yeah, so this, is, this game was the first point of that season where I lost faith that we would do it so I, I remember a couple of points Come during on. the season where... Come on, no, eight, no, eight, eight points know. behind, six to go. Come on. <laughs> I know. No, so there's a few points in the, earlier in the season where at the Spurs game around Christmas, New Year or January time where we went to two all and then Balotelli got the penalty at the last minute. Mm. I, I knew we were going to come back in that game. There were some other instances during the season where I knew we were going to come back. But this game, the QPR game, despite those comebacks despite uh, the closing of eight-point gap down with six games left, that was the day that my faith chose to abandon me. And <laughs> once it went to 2-1 down, or even 2-all, I thought it was too little too late, that was the day my faith uh, eroded from the Etihad that day. Yeah, Kieran, um, I, I, you have to remind me of your timeline because obviously um, you you hail from Ireland. Um, yeah. Were you were you in Ireland at the time, or were you over in in uh, England by then? No, I was over in England, um, but I couldn't get a ticket for the day. It was just uh, it was just a mission. So this was before I got my season ticket, and I'd been to just a sort of handful of games that year. I didn't know I didn't know anybody at City really at this stage. So I was just kind of going when I could, kind of on my own or um with one or two random kind of friends that I picked up along the way. Um so I watched it in Liverpool in um a sort of like m- marina um kind of like it sounds very posh but it's not but like you know <laughs> on the docks there's a sort of little like um kind of like a yacht club. Are <laughs> <laughs> you sure it wasn't no, Monte Carlo? <laughs> I was trying everything there to make it not sound posh and really like up my own arse. But it's just, it's almost like a, 
a sort of like working man's club, but there are boats parked outside it, you know, where like <laughs> <laughs> it's where it's where people who like sail of a are weekend. We, are, are, we sa- are we sailing to work today, dear? Is that that sort of that sort of working man's club? <laughs> uh, yeah, but it just like it does a carvery and it like has a few TV screens and stuff. And I'd watched, I'd watched the six one there, and I watched uh, the one nil company there as well. Um, so I was just like out of sort of superstition and tradition, decided to watch uh, to watch it there as well. But there ended up being two United fans sat behind me. I realised they were just sat quietly, obviously because they were watching in Liverpool as well. Uh, and when Rooney scored, they were, they were given a kind of like Rooney under their breath. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm one of these <laughs> two. Like, uh, so then I was very aware of them the whole entire game, and, and oh my god, oh fuck, it was it was incredible. Like I remember every single second of that day, you know, so vividly. I wish it was at the Etihad. One of my like all time wishes is that I had been at that game. Yeah, and like you know, even like went maybe even went down to Manchester and just sort of like hovered outside the ground or something because mm. um, it just felt. Like I cried my eyes out when Aguero scored in this in this mad yacht club. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was fucking amazing. Like, just yeah. such a day. Are you are you a superstitious person? Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Like uh, that whole season. Every time I was up at the bar, City seemed to score. So for the for the company header game against United, I remember basically like being parked at the bar for for most of the game, um, and yeah so like i've got like lucky boxers and yeah i've loads of little loads of little things um like i'll probably be wearing the same jumper at, at the end of the season this year as a war at the end of the season against brighton in 2019 so yeah i've got all these little mad rituals uh that probably mean fuck all in the scheme of things like but uh on on these days uh, you know it's fine margins isn't it lads <laughs> yeah, I, I I meant to ask as well, Adam, because of obviously because of uh, what you were saying earlier. Um, are, are you a religious person? I was raised Catholic. I uh, know there was a few prayers said that day that I probably haven't said uh, for a few times before that. But I remember Mancini went to church that morning as well and said his prayers, and uh, he swears by the fact that he went to church that morning is what the the divine, divine intervention was that got us through. So there was certainly some. I was cashing in my prayer points uh, <laughs> more that day than I had in the previous years. Yeah. Leading you, you, up to you, that, when not, I was you, able to make my own path. Yeah, I was going to say you'd not prayed in about fifteen years, but here we are on the yeah, final exactly. day. Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. Can now say that we're also joined by uh, Gaz. Uh, better late <laughs> than never, Gaz. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right. Well, I suppose it's in keeping with the uh, with the, the theme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, with uh, I've just asked these two um, if they were expecting to simply see City win their first title of uh, of your lifetime that day. Uh, is that how you were feeling? Yeah, I think so. I, 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 just thinking back, um, yes, uh, I, I thought it was it was going to happen because I thought that all the bits where it was. Um, in peril, we, we saw two, didn't we, with the Newcastle game and the and, and, and the United game as well at home. So, yeah, I do remember going in that day actually pretty pretty confident. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I was going to ask the other two, uh, but I'll start with you. Were, you, were, were there no nerves at all? Um, I think I was I was a lot worse the the year before at the cup final. Um, I, 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 I'll, I'll be lying to say. There were probably no. I think it was probably just more excited than anticipation, really. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. I think as well, like, wasn't our home record that year just like, didn't we win 18 out of 19 at home? Yeah, and Sunderland yeah, were the only team. Was draw, wasn't it? Yeah. And Sunderland was the only one we did. And, and, I, and I was, <laughs> a fun fact for everyone, I, I was a stag doing Edinburgh that weekend, so I didn't go to that one. So I'd seen us win every single home league game. Uh-huh. So, I, yeah, I, I was, I was, yeah, so as a result, I thought it was just going to happen. We always win. Yeah, Adam, uh, speaking of that Sunderland game, I mean, you've mentioned already the Balotelli-Tottenham game. That was another example, two goals in the last kind of three or four minutes or so. It was, this is what that City team did, wasn't it? I just I just don't think we all expected it to need to happen on the final day. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was alluding to around the fact that we always came back. You mentioned the eight, uh, the eight points from six games, the Tottenham game, the Sunderland game, where we were dead and buried. We then just took on a new lease of life and, you know, resurrected however many times in one season. And I'm just gutted that the day it did happen for the the biggest occasion of all was the day I just lost complete faith in the whole ability to come back (laughs) that season. And I don't know why, because I've got all those examples to lean on as well, but it's just something that that day did to me and I lost all sense of logic and reason that day. Yeah, well, talk me through it then, because um, obviously City take the lead at the end of the first half. We're all okay. The first half hasn't exactly played out as as City being as as um, as they weren't playing as well as you would hope, I guess. Uh, but mm. they take the lead when City take the lead in in that season. They generally won the game. Um, what was there to be worried yeah. about in the second half? There was nothing. The only issue I was worried about was that Yaya went off with an injury or looked injured around that time. I think he went off just before half-time or on half-time. That was the only concern. As soon as Zabaleta went in, uh, Zabaleta's goal went in, I thought, job done. I thought it just before kick-off, that certainly cemented it. There were some nerves in that first half and we certainly weren't playing as well as we had all season. We were very cagey. But as soon as Zabaleta's goal went in, I thought it was either going to be floodgates or job done, but I couldn't see anything like that second half happening from there on in. When when did United score against Sunderland? They, there about, was about it was about, about fifteen minutes. Yeah, was it? it was about 15, 15, yeah. yeah, it was about fifteen minutes before Zabaleta scored. So they they'd gone top before we had to score at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I knew that at the time from from memory. I don't know if I remember their score at that point. Knew their score at that point. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I can't um, say if that added to the jeopard, the sense of jeopardy or not from from my point of view. Yeah, Kieran, talk me through uh, your thought process then as the second half is progressing, because basically the first, well, the first forty two minutes of the second half just kind of, it, it's just all downhill, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, like, genuinely the worst I've ever felt watching football. Like <laughs> um, everything was just crumbling and it was really it was really lonely I felt like dead dead on my own at that point and, and proper isolated because it was just like when you're sat in a random Liverpool bar watching it you know with nobody kind of around you for solace um, and it, yeah it was a real empty hollow feeling of just like how have they let this happen um, I think Mancini he summed it up didn't he with his uh with his gestures and swearing on the touchline mm. after they scored with, their second one, with his "fuck you, fuck you, fuck yeah, you," yeah, yeah, I think he spoke for every uh, <laughs> every bird in the world at that point in time. Um, yeah, I just couldn't see how on earth that made it happen uh, or let it happen. Sorry, uh, down to ten men, QPR, and uh, they just—I mean, Adam used the word jeopardy there. There just didn't seem to be that much jeopardy. I know QPR were sort of fighting for their lives, but. Um, 
they were they were pretty garbage, weren't they? And we our home mm-hmm. record was impeccable, and uh, they sort of it felt like they had no right to score those two goals, you know. And that was the kind of like <laughs> that was the sort of selfish arrogance that you developed a little bit. But you know that kind of confidence going into that game was just like, what are they doing? This is our day, and and they're spoiling it. Yeah, Gaz. When uh, I mean, it's hard to to uh, kind of remember the timeline of everything, but but Barton actually gets sent off at one one. So were you thinking at that point, oh, well, this is, I mean, the, the task now is is a lot easier because, you know, it's 10 men. I remember being, like, just sort of um, following on from what Karen said, like, you, just, you know, further sort of annoyed by it all that, um, you know, compounding it all, like, we're, we're actually playing 10 men as well. Like, that, I remember that sort of factoring into my thinking. I think um, it's so hard to, it's so hard so it's so hard to sort of remember what I was thinking at any stage of that day because it was like probably the most traumatic experience of my life and I think like the entire like um that the, the entire sort of experience of it kind of just colors everything really so I, I kind of forget whatever sort of roller coaster was on and just sort of like remember sort of staring into the abyss for I mean, what when did they get the second? I got like the last half hour of the match, was it? Um, uh, that's a good. That's a good question. You think when we were doing preparing a special like this, I might have checked that, but you know, I haven't. So uh, we'll have to guess at it. <laughs> but I can just remember, like, I, I do. Gen- this is like a ridiculous thing to say. Like, it's not as a as a memory. Like, I I I don't look at it. And this is a ridiculous thing to say. I don't look at it as fondly as a couple of other things. I, I mean, obviously, as, as, as a moment, it's the best moment um but because of like the whole experience of it i, I do I'd, like it, it 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 wasn't like a very pure moment was it it was like you know i was i was so sort of traumatized by everything that was sort of leading up to it that there's like i don't know there's just so much sort of relief in there as well as like the joy that it, it, it kind of um yeah it, it kind of uh pollutes it ever so slightly this sounds like i'm overstating the case obviously it's like absolutely <laughs> amazing but like it's not like there's other get there's other days i've had support in city which, which have just been like an amazing day from beginning to end this was just like trauma followed by like yeah just yeah something incredible but yeah, yeah that's how it remember. well i can tell you the timeline of events um wayne rooney scored for united on 20 minutes uh putting them top of the table uh zabaleta scored for city on 39 minutes uh putting city back top of the table uh cc equalizes uh for qpr on 48 barton sent off on 55 mackie scores on 66 and then obviously uh jacko and uh, aguero scoring in, in stoppage time um so there's there's like 11 minutes playing 10 men at 1-1 and then suddenly it's ele- that the, they're playing 10 men at 2-1 so like adam when mackie scored like uh, how were you feeling at that point that that's like like goodness me it's like everything has hit the floor yeah that that was the biggest and i remember all all I was thinking then was facing the united fans in work and how they'd through my lifetime, they'd always beat us to the, you know, and we were just the also runs. And this was the closest we'd ever come in my lifetime up to a point. And that's all I was thinking through that game was we've got to face the United fans. They'll be loving it. They've they've robbed they've robbed it from from us because we were top of the league at half time. And that was all my thought process with with throwing it away. I couldn't see any way of us getting back. I thought they would just absolutely defend for the lives, which they did. Um, and I was just. Distraught. I've, 
the, to go from such a high to such a low in a short space of time, I've only ever experienced that once since, and that was the Tottenham game in the Champions League years later. And City certainly know how to put you through the ringer with emotions like that. And <laughs> it's a horrible feeling. It's, it was I was just distraught and just thinking about all the punishment we'd have to face from the banter brigade across the road. I remember going in. This is all I can. This is what I can remember from the day. We've got two things actually. You, you said then. I remember at half time because Zabra had just scored. The the music they played was the well, you know, do do do. They, they played that through the tannoy. Um, sorry, public address system. <laughs> as they were. <laughs> as they, yeah, we don't we don't I, do brand names no, here. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> public address systems available. Um, or, unless or, or if anyone wants to sponsor the podcast, I suppose. Uh, but I think. Um, they, they played that as the players went in. So, like, they were, it, 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 yeah, it was kind of cocky. And I remember, the other thing I remember is going into the game before it, there were two lads it, it going through my turnstile dressed as bananas. And I remember when we were losing, thinking, those lads are going to have to go home dressed as bananas. <laughs> 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 but, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't have your face painted at football because the no. tears just the tears make it run. Um, Kieran, please, please, please tell me uh, that uh, when Aguero scored, you sought out the United fans that were sat behind you and just 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 to just to find out what their opinions on the matter were. Yeah, I was just, I, oh yeah, I was just too gone. I was just like it was an out of body experience, you know. Um, I was over. I can just remember sprinting across the bar, but it was like this was pre sort of um, Liverpool and City's big rivalry that they forced. Um, so everybody just wanted United to lose, and you know City were the sort of good guys then, and it was uh, just so romantic that City had won in such a way. So these two United fans were just sitting stony faced, and they'd experienced it enough to be able to take it. You would have thought um, they'd, they'd won enough. And yeah, I was just bouncing about in a complete world of my own and I just almost hyperventilating and then the tears started uh, and I just sort of had my hand over my mouth trying to catch my breath um, just wishing, just wishing I was there at the ground, you know, wishing I was surrounded by the sort of the friends I've made over the, the past 10 years uh, and, you, you know, the celebrations that I've had with the people who I've met uh, through City and at City. Yeah. Now, you know, it's just, it, it felt like it was so weird because, like, obviously my kind of like city supporting journey had been going on all my life. But, you know, this was this sort of pinnacle of it. Um, but it was kind of on my own for it. And then there's been so many, like, unbelievably gorgeous moments then. So it was like, it was sort of the end of something and the start of something at the same time. You know, it was really, it was just unbelievably amazing. It was class. Yeah. Adam, talk me through the moment, not when Aguero scored. But the moment when you realised he was going to score, because there is a moment in there before he's taken the shot where you think he isn't missing yeah. this. Yeah, I well, so let me tell you just a few seconds before that, I saw the QPR bench cheer and the QPR away fans cheer, and they knew they were safe because of Bolton's result at Stoke, I think, that day. And I thought, come on, just let us score now. And then when Aguero sidesteps that challenge that comes through. My first thought was, that's a penalty, because he followed through on his standing leg. And so I'm thinking, we've got a penalty here if the you know if it doesn't go our way. And then, so when he sidesteps that, and I knew in my head that QPR were almost on the beach. I know 
Neda Manua has had interviews since that day and said they didn't know at that point, but the bench certainly did and the um, the away fans did. So I was hoping that had translated onto the pitch at that time. And I was just, when he sidestepped that challenge, I just knew it was in there. I'm in the East Stand level three at this point. So I've got a perfect diagonal view on that from behind Aguero, exactly where he stepped up and it's etched in my memory. That is one memory that I can replay photographically perfect in my memory and once he sidesteps that challenge the angle was perfect Kenny had played pretty well that day in in goal but I just thought he's going to slot this past him and it was that sidestep past the challenge when I knew the heavens had just smiled on us yeah um Gaz the uh, I mean the, the goal itself and kind of like the, the aftermath of it um how long did it take you to kind of process it like what had happened um I think the, the best way I could sort of describe how it sort of felt in the moment, it was like, um, uh, <laughs> you, like, it, like the, the sort of camera had been shocked. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like the entire stadium felt as if it was sort of shaking. That's like my sort of last experience of it. Do you know how like, um, you know how like in, it's a really bad analogy, it's the best way I can say it. You know how like in Bourne films, the camera starts like jerking around? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how I remember it, like from my perspective, in that it wasn't like, it was like an earthquake was happening. It wasn't like a goal celebration. It was like, this this place is moved, like the ground is moving up and down here. Like that, like that's, that's exactly how I sort of remember it going in. It wasn't like a goal being scored. It was like, yes, um, uh, Literally seismic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, the, well, I'm going to finish with uh, one of my favourite stats uh, from that game. Uh, because everyone talks about how dominant City were in, in those final stages and how much of the ball they had and just you know just how much um, City were doing to try and you know force the issue. It was corner after corner. Um, mm-hmm. What people don't realise, and I think this illustrates how, uh, how much it was one-way traffic. Uh, because of that game, Joe Hart holds the record for the most number of throw-ins taken by a goalkeeper. <laughs> oh wow uh, no I didn't how many were there uh, it's only three but he took three of them that's amazing um, yeah so good and I seem to recall you'll never sing that <laughs> uh, I seem to recall Sean Wright Phillips was quite like instrumental in one of our throw-ins that, that he thought was ours but it, he thought it was theirs but it was actually ours and we kind of like built from there at the, at the tail end um, so I, I I like to thank Joey Barton and Sean Wright Phillips for their uh, contribution that day, um, and I'm sure um, Anua was involved in in, uh, in making it nice and easy for us as well as three well, uh, three former Berts. We we will hear later on in the show how Anua um, was involved in a couple, in the in the two goals. So uh, save that for later on. But for now, we're going to move yeah. on. Uh, over the last ten years, there's barely anybody who was involved in this game that hasn't already spoken about it. We wanted to do something a little bit different to mark the decade anniversary on the Blue Moon podcast. So we've gone the other way instead. Instead of trying to hear more from the players and managers who were involved, we've decided to focus on the people who played my almost insignificant roles in how that day unfolded. Here's how they reflect on that afternoon. Hi, this is Guy Mowbray, lead commentator for BBC Match of the Day. And I was in the privileged position of doing the commentary for Match of the Day on the 13th of May 2012 at the Etihad Stadium. It's all hindsight, isn't it? It's trying to remember how you were thinking and how you were feeling at the time. 
I'm pretty confident, though, that I, I thought and knew he was going to score the minute he took the pass from Balotelli. I'm Alex Kirkley. I'm the stadium announcer with Manchester City. And I was in my role as the stadium announcer that very day. I'm not surprised people don't remember what I said. My words were, and it was it was a bit considered, actually. I, I, I obviously went, I went crazy on the announcement, but it was goal for City. It's a Premier League winning goal. That's how confident we felt with it going in. For Sergio Aguero. Richard Scudamore, I was then the chief executive of the Premier League. Where was I? Well, I was there. Chairman Dave Richards and I had decided to, to split because obviously there was a potential for it to be presented at Sunderland purely on geographical terms. We weren't forecasting likelihood or anything else. He was the chairman, I was the chief exec, and he lived in Sheffield. And I lived down in the Cotswolds near Cheltenham. He and I spoke on the phone, we wished each other good luck and ho hoped each other was going to be. <laughs> presenting the trophy. I thought, yeah, this is it. This this is it. And and funnily enough, that was probably going to be my commentary line. I'd said this is it two years previously for the World Cup final when um, Spain scored against the Netherlands. So I, I must have quickly thought, no, can't use that again. We had to let things die down a bit, I think, before the we went with the announcement. Obviously, we got the the extra beans behind the chair that we that we wanted. We just we just waited, and let things die down, and maybe maybe we went a bit early. Maybe we were just caught up in the moment ourselves. As I understand it, at Sunderland, they were all ready to present the trophy. They were literally ready to go. There was images of of, of them lining up the trophy in the in the because the, the game ended there. So that was uh, that was exactly what happened. And I, I literally turned to the guy from Barbers and said, "Oh well, you know, it wasn't our <laughs> it wasn't our uh, our day." After the goal went in. The overriding feeling for me was that it was there's like a concrete structure. The SCAD Stadium was like physically shaking and it was a bit scary as well as being like the best thing ever. You know if you've made a complete pig's ear of it. Such would that doesn't happen too often. Um, you, you know when you could have done things better. That goal, in my mind, being one of them actually, it wasn't perfect. And that moment demanded perfection. I have to say the tunnel area, there was nothing, I've never seen anything like it. I have never seen anything like it. It was pandemonium. And yeah, it, and, and in the chaos of getting the lineup organised, because it is quite structured and quite organised. The non-playing staff go up first and come onto the. Once the podium is set up, then you've somehow got to try and get this mass of people onto the set in an orderly fashion. It's the best moment that I've been involved in in football. I think probably probably my entire life. It's certainly one of them. And I'm so happy to have been there. And and it's the most amazing thing to have witnessed and been part of. And yet professionally it's a bittersweet moment for me because people now still come up to me and say well you weren't doing it it was martin tyler i was counting down and you're counting medals and you're handing over and all of a sudden we're down to five players and only four medals and i'm looking across from the podium and i'm staring tom this guy tom in the face and all of a sudden he twigs and you can see him i don't think there's any tv footage of it he comes in round behind the set and all of a sudden, another medal appears when there's like four to go. Because <laughs> otherwise, we wouldn't have had a medal for Vincent Company, which would have been quite a shock. We got word that the fourth official was about to put the board up for additional time. So I was being told to like crash David Silver's corner take. And I, and I actually pulled rank and I said, no, let him get the corner in and then we'll do the um, additional time announcement. So I don't, I can't take credit for uh, a great corner and an Edin Dzeko headed equaliser, but 
I'd like to think I didn't put anyone off, if you know what I mean. I pump up the crowd noise. I get it really cranked up, the effect, as much as possible. You didn't have to that day. It was so loud. Um, in fact, I think I might have had effects turned right down. Yeah, it's a complete urban myth, the idea of a helicopter. Yeah, there's always been a sponsor's trophy, but they are identical, right? literally identical. They cost the same, they, they're the same, you know, they're the same work that's gone into them. So they are actually identical. So no, there was always two. Those end of season games where there's something at stake, be it top of the table, bottom of the table, and the games are happening simultaneously. And, and we and we do the, the the crossover edits on Match of the Day where sort of the games seamlessly blend to, to tell the story chronologically. They're always exciting. They're always fun to do. You always wanted it to go down to the last day. It wasn't just how late it was and how close it was. It was who the two rivals were. You know, the idea that it was the two Manchester teams arguably the biggest rivals there are. And the idea that one game finished early and they'd done all they had to do and thought they were about to pick it up, it was that, it was just, it was Shakespearean. When it was 2-1 and into injury time, I just remember thinking, well, that is City all over. Uh, and when Dzeko made it 2-2, my uh, floor manager, Matt, next to me, who's not, yeah, he, he loves his football, but he's not, he's not well-versed on the, the history and the, the, what it all means. So he sort of nudged me and went, oh, it's on again. You know, by this point, we know that United have won at Sunderland. And he said, it's on again. And I remember, I remember shaking my head going, no, that's, that, it, that really is City. They've just made it worse. So I kind of had dismissed it because those things don't happen. I've been in the position for, that was my first season, end of my first season, which had the, uh, the Derby win to put us firmly back in the mix. And that was on my, that was on my birthday. That was the, one of the uh, the Mondays a couple of weeks before that. It was an absolutely iconic day. There is no doubt about it. Whether it's the most, I don't know. Um, the fact that it was Man City's you know first title, the fact it was against the old enemy. Yeah, it was magically iconic. But I wouldn't argue with anybody, anybody who said it was the most iconic. I wouldn't argue with that. I'm Carlo Nash, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Some minor figures of that day giving us their memories. I've now got three brand new faces joining me for this next part of the show. I'm joined by Richard Burns. Hello. Dan Burke. Hello. And Kieran Clark. All right. Um, so let's start with uh, with you, Dan. Um I, we've just heard from some of the not so key figures to the uh, Aguero game. Um, are there any, in, in a kind of similar fashion, are there any really minor details that you remember about the day for absolutely no reason? <laughs> um, I remember being in the in, in a pub in town before the game uh, called the Crowbar, and, uh, and Stuart Hall was in there doing some five live thing and he winked at my mum and I, I knew we, we were in for a lucky day when that <laughs> happened. That, that wasn't where I was expecting this part to go, to be honest with you, but here we are. Yeah. Um, as, for, as for the game itself, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it feels like it was yesterday, really. I mean, I, I remember um, at one point in the second half when it, it looked like the the game was was really getting away from City when it looked like we were we were pretty hopeless. I remember being so upset and frustrated that I just got up and decided to leave. And my mum was sat next to me and she was like, you can't go yet. Like, you know, stay till the end. It, it might all turn around. And I was like, no, this is just too too heartbreaking, too painful to watch. And I actually went as far, I got as far as the toilet. So I went to the toilet on my way out. And while I was stood at the urinal, that I just must have thought, no, nah, go on, go back. Like, you never know what might happen. I think I was thinking back to even like Wembley in 99. Like, I remember my dad wanting to leave that day and me saying, no, come on, let's stay. So yeah. I, I went back and stayed. But I, I very nearly walked out on the greatest moment in the club's history, which would have been uh, 
pretty, Jesus, pretty funny that- in, in hindsight. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to well, admit to that later down the line. Well, well <laughs> we, 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 weirdly, like it won't be like um, I was even more more of an unbearable wanker back then. Um, and I, I made I, I, I made a speech on like 88, 89th minute where I sat and I just sort of said, look, no matter what, this has been like the best season I've ever had following City. So we should stay and applaud, you know, the lads on like, you know, the off the pitch or whatever. Yeah. And as soon as I said that, this old codger who's like two or three seats away just got up and walked out as soon as I said that. <laughs> Yeah, you've you've always had that power to influence people, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. uh, Richard, anything that that stands out for you? Any 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 weirdly specific memories for you? I remember um, as it sort of ticked down towards like when we when we were two one down and it was sort of ticking towards extra time stoppage time. Um, I had a very, I have a very vivid memory of thinking, like I'd been at Newcastle the week before and I had a few videos on my phone of like the fans singing, we're going to win the league and all that. And this like amazing atmosphere where it felt like it was all done and dusted. And I remember having a very specific thought of like, I'm going to have to delete all these. Like I've been watching them (laughs) all week to like making myself even more excited for the the QPR game. I thought like these, I can't watch them now. They're going to go from being something that was really exciting and a great memory to something that's going to be almost like torturous to think about how close we got. And I remember my my dad saying to me, um, just really, really simply, he just turned to me and said, we'll never ever live this one down will we and i couldn't speak to him because i was like i was choked i, I guess the complete opposite to um to care <laughs> i was just completely choked and i was um i'm not ashamed to say i, I was probably on the verge of um i had it got to full time and we'd we'd blown oh, it. Um, I, I, I reckon i'd have cried yeah yeah, I, I'd yeah, yeah. um and and i was probably the same as a lot of people i very specifically remember not celebrating jacko's goal i was more annoyed about it like why now um and I, I couldn't even bring myself to celebrate it or get pumped by it it was only when we knew that moment when the qpr fans started cheering because they'd heard the bolton result come in it was only that moment when I, I let myself have a little thought of oh my god what if yeah oh no the the the, the jacko one i i got like i was like come on like, like i just got this weird like surge through my body i was like come on we can fucking do this it was, <laughs> it was absolutely mad yeah well i, I was um, going to ask um at what point did you give up on it casey and at what point did you then kind of ungive up on it the, the, weirdly the, the moment i gave up on it uh was like uh around the bar and red card um, and I just thought this this game is just going to go down in history is just like the worst catastrophe of everything. <laughs> like that, like I just thought QPR and City are going to have bottled it simultaneously on the same day. Do you know what I mean? And and I just thought this this is going to go down. Obviously, it went down for like the best reasons, but I just thought it's going to go down as like one of the most catastrophic games in Premier League history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so I, like I was just like. I was just trying to look for the positives of go, look, it was a great season, let's go again, sort of thing. But like but like like Burnsy said, like my my eyes were my eyes were stinging definitely, you know, about the eighty fifth minute when Paddy Kennedy saved his fiftieth corner in a row or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was do it was it was doing me head in. But like but then then like weirdly then the when the Aguero goal go went in like my overriding memory is just like of silence in the stadium 
Like in, in my brain, it just goes in slow motion and there's half a second of silence where everyone looks to the linesman for some reason because that's how I remember <laughs> it in my head. Do you, do you know what like, Do you know what you made me think of? Do you, do you know the film Mike Bassett? Yeah. When, 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 the, when, that, when that goal goes in and the stadium erupts behind him but the, the, the screen goes to silence and then the bench jump on him, that's how I've just pictured you. Yeah, yeah it, it is sort of weirdly like that. It's just like, I remember just going to the line, but like... I, I remember, I remember the weirdly, the, the split second thing that I think is silence and the whole ground not moving. But the way that I imagine, uh, the way that I remember it, I'm higher in the air than what by about <laughs> a, a foot or two. So I'm clearly, I've clearly jumped about two feet in the air to celebrate while this supposed moment of silence is going on in my mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> It was just, yeah, it's just absolutely bizarre, like the way the way that your mind trace plays tricks on you, isn't it? Yeah, Dan, you you talked about um, obviously, you know, not leaving your mum and, and going back. Um, mm. did, did did you did it? Did the Jekyll goal make you believe again, or was it was? Did you even then think that was too little, too late, and you you kind of um, you, you needed that sort of like even the build up to the Aguero goal? You're thinking like this might it's got to be now or never sort of thing. Yeah, it annoyed me as well. I mean, I decided to leave um, with probably about 20, 25 minutes to go because it just felt so hopeless, so like futile. They were just dumping balls into the box and, and QPR were heading them away. And I just it, it was just painful to watch. And I thought I think I sort of did the maths in my head and thought, well, if I leave now, I can get into town in about the next 20 minutes. Then I can be on the bus out of town back to Withenshaw by the time the final whistle goes. If I play t- play my cards right, I can time this so that I don't see any United fans at all. I could just go home and just like go to bed for two weeks or something, and and you know try and just cry my eyes out at home on my own. So when when Jacko scored, I was kind of thinking, why didn't I leave? Like it's it's obviously not going to come back now. And and yeah, I, I just remember that I was getting that throw in, and uh, sorry QPR getting that throw in, and Nader Manua throwing it back to us. And then the ball going to Nigel De Jong, and as De Jong's going down the pitch, I was saying out loud to myself, make this pass count, Nigel. This is so important. You've got to make this pass count. And he he passes it into uh, Aguero, doesn't he? He does the one-two with Balotelli and, and the rest of history. But yeah, I was a bit like KC, that kind of moment in silence thing. It, it's it's a bit of a cliche, but it was almost like, you know, time stood still, everything went in slow motion when that when, when the, the ball goes to Aguero in the box. And you're just thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen here? And then the feeling that I felt when he put that ball in the net, I've never felt anything like that since. I don't think I ever will again. I felt like my head was going to explode. It was incredible. So, so what, 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 what did you do then, Dan, out of interest after the match then, if you, did, if you didn't go home on the bus and sleep for two weeks? I went into town and partied until the early hours, mate. I was, I was seeking United fans out, if anything, at that point. <laughs> Richard, we're obviously talking those uh, specific moments. The the other one that I think uh, stands out for me is, um, I think KC mentioned it before, the uh, Paddy Kenny save from Balotelli. Um, the corner comes in, Balotelli w- uh, wins the header at the back post and Kenny pushes it behind. I remember that really kind of uh, vividly. And the other one I remember is, um, I think it was Aguero had a shot um, that kind of, he, he kind of bundled it towards the goal and, and it beat Kenny, was behind him, but he kind of got a hand round the back and dived on it. And I remember quite quite loudly appealing that it had gone over, knowing full well that it hadn't. But just like in that kind of moment of desperation, you know, like the stages of grief, you've got the desperation as, as one of the <laughs> stages. And like those two things really stick out for me. Is there anything on the pitch that, 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 that in the kind of like the, the second half that sticks out to you like that? Yeah, the, um, 
So there's the moment that, I suppose two. Um, so for Jamie Mackey's goal, um, forgive me, I forget who, who puts the cross in, um, but when he skipped past company, because um, I used to, to sit on that side after it would have been QPR's left at the time, um, and there was sort of, he beat him so, um, like, like so easily and just skipped past him, or at least in my mind he did. And I, I think, am I right in remembering that company had a bit of a, a late fitness battle before the game um we'd had a bit of a strain or something i remember thinking christ that looks like a, a company who's not fit and that might that might be about to cost us and then obviously mackie scores and that was um i mean I, I probably sort of massively exaggerated in my mind how how slow company had been for that but i like I, I guess maybe that was my version of sort of time stood still. It was like there's an impending disaster playing out in front of me if they score here, and then obviously he did, and it was um, it was awful. And the other one is Nasri letting the ball go for the throw in that, yeah. that Dan mentioned that ends up um, that, that ends up leading to the winning goal because he could have made it and he just he just let it go. I said like, why why would you let them have the ball now? If, if, like it felt criminal at the time. I was uh, the worst. The worst. It, the worst bit was just before it though, when when Wright Phillips is running and like you know because he he obviously went past a couple of our players, didn't he? To just before that ball went out for Nazri, and mm. where I used to sit is like one two five, one two six on the halfway line. So he's running directly at me, and obviously Wright Phillips was like my favourite player when I was a kid. And just as he's running at me, I just remember standing up and just going, "No, Sean, no, Sean, what are you doing?" <laughs> There was a there was a lady that sat behind me that um, that that screamed at him at that exact point. Um, Sean, you're supposed to be one of us. <laughs> <laughs> so it just like it's just a collective kind of no. It's that like these are our heroes. Stop taking it away from our goal. Um, the other one, um, kind of in that build up, Richard with the with the Nazri throwing. I, I just wondered if. Like that, you get these situations sometimes where I, I wonder if Nasri actually knew that that was a QPR throwing, but it was it was something else for him to get wound up about. Do you know what I mean? Something else to to like if he lets it go out and and kind of plays as if he thinks that it's um, a, a city ball when it's then given against him, it can be kind of oh well everything's against us today and like <laughs> have a you know have a real kind of like a massive sulk about it because that's the sort of thing I'd do. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've um, long since stopped trying to assume what Sam Nasri thinks about anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe so that sort of um, psychological worlds against us kind of thing might it might have felt like a good thing to be able to portray at the time. Um, I did just at the time assume he was being ridiculously lazy, to be fair. <laughs> I, 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 I just remember being very, very angry at it. Yeah, that yeah. was the that was the point. I think in the uh, Sky coverage, where um, the fan turns around and bangs the seat with his scarf about yes. three or four times out of just sheer frustration, yeah. and it just kind of sums up everything else. The, the other uh, Dan, um, the other memory I have of the crowd is um, there. There was a there was a young lad that sat kind of like two seats down from me at the time. Uh, who would have probably been about 11, 12 years old, which makes him about the same age as we were at Wembley in, in 99. And I just looked at him and he had his head in his hands, in, like sat, like hands on his uh, elbows on his knees, head in his hands. And uh, my mum just kind of looked at me 
and we both understood that that's how she saw me when I was at Wembley in the, the, you know all those years <laughs> before and so I, like there was so, there's so many images of people around the stadium just with their heads in their hands in so many different ways there's one fella in the on the sky coverage as well who's just holding his face in like like his hands are on <laughs> yeah. his face and I don't really like I, you know what it means yeah, well, that, that's the thing. It's like the, I think people went through the sort of seven stages of grief and there was a bit of anger at, at first. I remember, you know, Mancini obviously effing and jeffing at the players. I remember a few people, including myself around me, being a bit like that as well. But then at some point, you just like, it, the hope just seemed so forlorn and people were just like grieving almost something that hadn't really happened yet, but was sort of playing out before before your very eyes and everyone was just really kind of crestfallen. And yeah, it just, uh, it, it doesn't bear thinking about what what would have happened if if they'd not scored those two goals and come back. Really, what the fallout would have been like. You know, is it too dramatic to say that we might never have won the title or something like that? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, genuinely, it might, it might have set us back a few years. A, a, a trauma like that. Yeah, the sort of PSG complex in uh, yeah. in, in, in how they uh, how they always seem to hit that sort of wall every now and then. Um, KC, I'm just wondering. Um, obviously, Dan. Dan was seeking out United fans by the end of it. Richard wasn't deleting the videos on his phone by the end of it. Um, winning it that way, is that better than you could ever have imagined you would see City win the league? Uh, yeah, well, it, it, we just, we just, you just won't be able... You couldn't, like... The, the, the burst of explosion in, inside me it was just incredible. And it's like, I know for the rest of my life I'll never have that feeling again. Yeah. Because they're just... Because it was the first time, and because it was a, such a dramatic time, there is just no other way of being able to do it. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it, there just isn't words to sort of describe just that feeling. And and it is, it is like like a little bit of regret in your mind that you know that you'll never get that feeling again because you just won't because it because it was just so dramatic. Yeah. Um, and then like it was like emotion. It's like you know, obviously. Normally, I'd be like Dan and going out and get absolutely leathered, you know, after 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 a match like that. Um, but like I I I didn't go into town. I came back local um, and had a couple of drinks in my local. Um, and uh, we tired. Mom, we we just tired. Is that the uh, yeah yeah? I was straight and like uh, my mum came in in a, like my mum's not into football whatsoever. My mum just turned up in the pub in in one of my city shirts that she dug out of the wall. <laughs> And it was great, and but like I just decided to get a chippy and made sure I was on to watch match of the day too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just so you know, just so I got to sort of watch it and take it all in, uh, because yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I just fully knew how to process it for a few days. Yeah, and uh, Dan, it, it's exactly that, isn't it? It's the, it's the lowest feeling to the highest feeling in seconds, and I think that's what I, I, that, I, I think that's what we know we're never going to get again. Yeah, and only football could do that to you, can't it, really? And 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 it's, I do think that the parallels between the the, the playoff final '99 and this game were were tremendous. Really, there is there is, it's almost like sort of two bookends at the start and end of of, of a period in the club's history. And you know, like I said, what my dad wanted to wanted to go home uh, when we were two 0 down against Gillingham and coming back to win. Me wanting to go home when we were two one down and we come back to win. It's just like we've, we've been so lucky to experience those two incredible games uh you know at, d- at different ends of the uh the, the football spectrum really but, but both so important to us and so meaningful and so important to the club so yeah it is it's beautiful that it happened it will never happen like that again you know even even winning the champions league in the last minute or something like that won't really be quite the same um, i'm sure it'll be an incredible feeling as well but you know most football fans including you know the fans of the biggest clubs in the world uh, won't get to experience what we experienced that day against QPR and we're incredibly lucky that we that we were there for it. 
Richard, are you, in, in a way, are you kind of glad that uh, City didn't do their first title in the Premier League era, at least in uh, in a normal way? Massively, yeah. I mean, you asked the question earlier, um, was it better than you ever could have dreamed uh, as a way of winning the first title? But like... That is the dream way of winning it. That's the Roy of the Rovers way of winning it. The the, the stoppage time sort of come from behind. It's exactly like if you were to write the film of how you win your first title and, and come up with some sort of fantastical, fictitious version of all this, then it's it's probably pretty close to what you come up with. Like it's not not just that we won it in the last minute, not just that we had to come from behind to do it, but everything that preceded that before it, the 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 eight points behind with six points to go. Like we, The game was almost a microcosm of the end of the season itself where we were down and out and all that. You know, It was the first time in Premier League history the lead had actually even changed hands on the final day of the season. And, and in amongst all that, it wasn't just any old team that we beat to the title. It was our rivals and one of the most successful football teams in the world in, in, in history. So like absolutely everything about it was just so so perfect that of course it's sort of that feeling that euphoria is beyond how you could ever expect sport to make you feel I think even knowing how much you care about City and what it puts you through um but yeah I'm, I'm absolutely glad that it it went that way and of course you'd I suppose you wouldn't choose before a game to put yourself through the, the low part of it but the high that came is, um, like KC said, we'll, we'll, and Dan, we'll never feel it again. And I'd go so far as to say that for all those factors, it's it's an, a feeling entirely unique to City fans that is highly unlikely circumstances will conspire for anybody else to ever win um, to ever win the league in, in that kind of way. It might happen in the last minute again, but it, it won't be the same as our our version of it. And it's just a beautiful thing that we've got to ourselves. Yeah, right. Well, we've been hearing the perspective of mainly City fans on the show so far, but it's time to get a view of what life was like for the QPR players and staff on that day. Down the years on the podcast, we've spoken to a lot of ex-City players, managers and backroom staff, and a fair few of them were representing Queen's Park Rangers that afternoon. Dan Burke's been through our interview archives to get their memories. In the starting lineup for QPR that afternoon in May 2012, there were three ex City players. Their captain, Joey Barton, and winger, Sean Wright Phillips, had played against City at Eastlands before, but it was a first return for Nader Manua. I've been at City for a billion years, and I've been at QPR for about 10 minutes, it felt like. But the reality of the situation was like, we just have to stay up. And that was the biggest thing in my mind. Like, I never, I, I wondered how I'd feel in the moment and so on, but I didn't feel like I was associated with City, not one bit, because my task was to keep myself and my team in the Premier League. Joey Barton remembers arriving at the Etihad that afternoon. He was never far from trouble anyway, but that day he was involved in one of the game's big incidents. Before the game, you said, perfect result, you stay up City, win the league. I said, great, that's ideal. I didn't want United to win the league. But, but the whole afternoon, it was kind of like we were in the way. We, we were fighting for our lives, releg- for a relegation fight. But like, there was like, all the paraphernalia for winning the league, like you know, and we were trying to get into the stadium, and it was like if this happens and City win the league after it, and I'm like, this isn't over yet, like, and I just felt the way they went about it the whole day, everything about it was very disrespectful. Barton says that spurred him on. Our team tour was done, you know, all the trophy and all the balloons and everything was as we got off the coach, and I'm like, hey, do you think this is just we just, they're just going to turn up and beat us? Like, this is a great, hey, let, let's 
watch all these crying their eyes out after the game. All them balloons going back. Someone having to pop all them balloons. So that was our team talk, done. Anua says the QPR players knew they had a tough task because City had dropped just two points at home all season. The thing which probably played into it a little bit was at the start of play, we didn't have to win to stay up. I think if we did, then maybe, you know, the, the pressure, the mentality and everything like that would have been perhaps a, a little bit different. Like we were going there thinking... We're going to do whatever we need to do to stay in the league. It was a tight first half, but City opened the scoring just before the break. Pablo Zabaleta found the net for the first time all season, and it meant, to avoid relegation, QPR were relying on Bolton dropping points at Stoke. There's a lot of noise in the stadium, and for us now, we're curious about like what's happening in the other place. And for me, I knew what was going on, or I thought I had an idea, because the City fans in the East Stand were singing for Martin Petrov who was a Bolton at the time. I'll be honest, I was caught, I was like, I was younger anyway, but that was, that was upset me, you know, because I thought like, I, I thought I was one of you guys. Mark Bowen was QPR's assistant manager. He'd been assistant to Mark Hughes at City too, and this was his first return in the dugout. At halftime, Queen's Park Rangers were down because the results elsewhere weren't in our favour. I think we were behind the Man City, didn't look like any way back. And I basically said a little prayer in the dressing room to myself, you know to say, well, you know, if there's any hope out there, you know, I better start getting on my knees and praying now. What should have been a comfortable afternoon became really anxious after half-time. A Julian Lescott error let Gibril Cissé in to equalise. They should have been be beating us and they froze, the team had froze, the manager had froze and you, we could smell it. Obviously, we scored, I think Gibril Cissé scores not long after half-time and, and I knew City better than anybody, so I knew City fans were going, oh, this is City being City, this could only happen to us and you could feel that in the stadium. That nervous energy transmitted to the pitch. QPR would take the lead through Jamie Mackey soon after. But in between their two goals, Barton was sent off for an elbow to the face of Carlos Tevez. He told us what happened from his point of view. I knew that he was going to play a 1-2 and I'd read it way before he'd done it. And I got in front of him and checked his run. And he kind of jumps on me back, Tevez. He's never getting to the ball, so I'm just shielding the ball. And as he does it, he just jumps and he kind of like swings his arm across me. So he's tried to punch me, in my eyes, he's tried to punch me. I know what he's done, he knows what he's done. And I don't like Tevez anyway, didn't like him, and from playing against him. So I thought, fuck yeah, you're getting a bit like. He says it escalated from there. The red mist descended. So I'm thinking no one's watching because they've already missed the first one. So I've just waited for him to come behind me and just elbowed him in the face. The linesman has cause seen him gone down, he's flagged and he's... And then... Um, no one's seen it and Aguero runs over to Mike Dean and says he's elbowed him, he's elbowed him, he's elbowed him. So I'm thinking I might get away with the yellow here anyway, red card. And um, at that point I'm just like, right, just get one, take one of these off with you. You know, Bobby Zamora came over and said take one with you. So I, at that point I'm like, we can even it up because a draw's a good result for us, we stay up on a draw. With the score at 2-1 to QPR and the away side down to 10 men, it became attack against defence and City were cracking under the pressure. Speaking with Jolie and um, Lescott, he was saying that basically it was himself and Vincent Company taking turns, just going forward and just having a shot. That's not how they got to the top of the league, you know what I mean? So it makes people behave in a in a different manner. And for City, you could see, like, I think when it was 2-1, up until probably the last five minutes of the game, just before stoppage time to the end of the game itself, I think that was probably the worst 15, 20 minutes of the whole season, I'd say. Because the way that they were going about and playing the game, like they were having some chances and stuff, but it was just pure chaos and carnage. City's equaliser came on 91 minutes and 15 seconds. By that time, Bolton were drawing with Stoke, a result that would send them down no matter what score it finished at the Etihad. 
But who knew what on the pitch is very difficult to say. Even when City had equalised, we were like terrified and everything. Oh my God. And then we looked up to the stand and we had uh, QPR's uh, board and the owner up there. And by this time, the, the game at uh, Stoke against Bolton, I think it was, had finished. And we knew then we were safe. So although we were disappointed, they were celebrating and we, you know, came down just, we're OK, we're up, we've stayed up. That was at 2-2, and moments later, Aguero scored to win the title. But Anua says he and most of his teammates didn't know they were safe. As the third goal goes in, if you have a look at the reactions of, of the people as it goes in, like it's hard because the camera wants to go to Sergio straight away. But there are QPR players strewn all over the floor. Like, do you do that when you know you're safe? Or do you do that when you think that you're going down? I was the last person to touch QPR player to touch the ball before City went and scored. So that was playing on my mind as well. And it was Edin. I was the one who was marking Edin when he scored his second. So I'm like thinking, this is all my fault. He says it took him a moment to realise what had happened. I saw the QPR fans who were up celebrating. Then I looked across at our bench and everybody was celebrating. So at that point then, you realise like nothing matters anymore. For, for all the joy that City were feeling, like there was a huge sense of relief from us because literally nothing mattered. And I think the best thing for the integrity of the Premier League was the fact that there wasn't another 10 minutes left of that game because it would have probably been the most farcical 10 minutes in Premier League history as both sides just passed the ball to each other because they both got exactly what they wanted. Mike Rigg was the technical director at QPR and had had that role at City under Mark Hughes previously. He wasn't at the Etihad, he was QPR's man at the Britannia Stadium. I remember having the phone, my phone and phoning up the lads at, at the Etihad saying... That's it, we're up, great, because the result's gone our way and we're up. And I'm sure Mark Birchins jumped up and shouted to Kevin Hitchcock, like, yes, that's it, the, you know, we're up, they're fine. And, the, you know, we were laughing, saying a couple of the players turned around and looked at the bench, at which point Aguero sneaked through and scored that goal. So, you know, I, I tell my kids, listen, I was responsible for, for Aguero scoring that goal because we put the players off. Mark Bowen says it was a strange feeling being on the other side of the celebrations, having been part of City so recently. Generally, when, when the final whistle went in, you saw the joy on on the, the fans and, and the players' faces at City. You know, you, you, you did feel um, delighted for them, you know. You really wanted to clap the supporters and and give, you know, the, the, the players we knew at City a cuddle because they 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 done it, you know? But we obviously weren't part of it. We were part of Queen's Park Rangers. Those who we have spoken to on the podcast who played for QPR that day have all told us that the noise in the Etihad when Aguero scored is the loudest thing they have ever experienced. That's the one thing Mike Rigg wishes he could have been there for. Remember Mark saying after he went, uh, he said, I, I honestly, and you can imagine where Mark Hughes has played and where he's been and what stadium he's been in and Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And he said, he said, when that goal went in, he said, I've never experienced a noise and an atmosphere like that in my life. And that's the bit which I regret. I wish I wish I could have been there for that. But listen, we stayed up, City won the title and everyone's happy. After staying up on the final day, Mark Hughes was sacked by QPR the following November with the team bottom of the table. Joey Barton spent a season on loan at Marseille after receiving a 12-game suspension for his antics against City. Sean Wright Phillips found himself in and out of QPR's team, eventually leaving in 2015 to join New York Red Bulls. And that summer, Nader Manua became QPR's club captain, a role he would hold for three seasons until he moved to Rail Salt Lake in the MLS in 2018. Hello, this is Jason Manford and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. 
Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Dan Burke with a look at how some of the QPR players and staff with links to City were feeling that day. We've refreshed the panel again for this part of the show. I'm now joined by some of the current City press pack. We've got from Goal.com, Jonathan Smith. Hello. From the Daily Mail, Jack Gorn. All right. And from Sporting News, Dom Farrell. Hello. So uh, let's start with this. Before we get into uh, the actual uh, day itself, let's start with this. Towards the end of his first season at City, uh, I asked Guardiola what he remembered of the goal. This was back in 2017 uh, for the fifth anniversary. Uh, This is what he said. I was at home. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, the best moment ever in this club by far. (laughs) I can imagine. I saw sometimes in YouTube the the moments, the spectators, the reactions. So, wow. I can I can just imagine a little bit how how the people f- felt in that moment, not just the players, the fans, and since a long time ago. So, I say congratulations, Mancini and their group, what they achieved it was amazing, really amazing. How did you react when you heard it? Well, I was a spectator, sit down there. I could not believe it because it just uh, two one down, uh, eight minutes left, or no, three or four. Yeah, yeah later on, so they should score two goals. So I saw United people there, Sir Alex Ferguson, the people were in the end. So it was, of course, football, but football, sport make this kind of, only sport can, can create this kind of emotions. So that's why the people is so demanding about football. So it's more than cinema, more than theatre, more than any other art in the world. So football create football, tennis, basketball, uh, golf, uh, create this kind of experience. Uh, American football, so just foot, that the sport can create this kind of feelings, and of course, Manchester City could live this kind of amazing moment. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. I like how at one point in that answer he just starts listing sports that he can remember. <laughs> Why does he always bang on about basketball? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that was obviously in uh, the end of his first season, so that was before anything that Guardiola had achieved at City had uh, had taken place. Um, John, I, I, it's it's a spo- I suppose it's a bit of an unfair question to start with, um, but it's like how does what Guardiola has achieved at City compare to what happened on that day? It's like it, like and they are incomparable, but obviously they they they're all great achievements, aren't they? Yeah, it probably is a bit of an unfair comparison um, because you know that's the most dramatic event in Premier League history and. Probably, probably you know the greatest footballing moment of all our lives, and um, yeah, it's going to be very difficult to 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 match with that. And also, the, the style of play under Guardiola is so different. You know, it's controlled. Um, it's it's. Well, I was going to say formulaic. It's probably a bit bit too strong a word, but Oof. yeah, it's it's all about control, isn't it? And knowing exactly what's what's going on, and and not allow allowing that sort of chaos to. To come into games, um, I mean, it does occasionally, but you know, pretty much, um, yeah, th- it, 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 those sort of moments aren't really going to happen. Yeah, yeah, Dom. It's uh, the, the one thing you can't really say about the end to that that twenty twelve season is that City were in control. <laughs> um, well, no, I suppose not. Although they did get to a point where they had to win. I think it was the final six games, and did, but. It's my memory of it is any time it got vaguely like looking like they might win the league, the QPR game been been the main example of this. They sort of seem to sort of lose their minds a little bit. I remember the um, after United had that. I mean, there were so many crazy games that running when United had that four four draw with Everton. City then played Wolves later that day, who were 
they ended up condemning some relegation. You know, they they were a team in in disarray. But City was so nervy that day at Wolves. Um, but yeah, it's um, the the thing that I think often gets forgotten about that comeback is that it's generally accepted that for a lot of that game, QPR City were pretty poor. But even in between the Jekyll goal and the Aguero goal, there's some really bad football there. There's like Sami Nasri shepherds it out for a QPR throw <laughs> when it's really quite imperative City have the ball. Um, yeah, there's the, God. There's just so much nonsense in that. Obviously, this got um, got replayed a lot when lockdown was on, and there were lots of reruns of this game and ex-players commentating over it. And yeah, there's some really really bad football goes on that day. Yeah. Uh, Jack, just from a a journalistic point of view, um, how inconvenient is it that an ending like that happens when you've got copy to submit? Uh, Well, I I don't actually quite know what I'm doing here, David, to be honest, because I was at (laughs) Wigan 3, Wolves 2 that day, uh, which was obviously 10 years ago, and I wasn't fortunate enough to be covering a club of the size of Man City at the time. And my memory of that day is watching Terry Connor who was caretaker manager at Wolves, uh, cry in his post-match press conference um, <laughs> because Wolves had gone down. Uh, and Roger Johnson, I maybe putting two fingers up at the Wolves fans and there was massive, there was loads of fights. I was tweeting about it and people were going like, mate, what on earth are you doing? Like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah, no one's bothered. Like, put the, put the laptop down sort of thing. Um, yeah, to... Uh, Sorry, that was slightly self-indulgent. But to answer your question, um, it's a pain in the backside. It's uh, not what you want. And the, <laughs> one of the um, one of the great things about covering City at the moment is that uh, you sort of know what's gonna you sort of know what's gonna happen, so you can have an idea and follow through on that idea because you you know that the ninety nine times out of a hundred the result is going to go as as you expect. Um, but there's, I mean, there's been, there's loads of stories of um, journalists down the years, just like the Reds falling off at like last minute goals and people not <laughs> being able to file and having to ring the office to take copy down on like some really big nights, uh, which, yeah, just amazing. It's just, but I, I, I love days like that because it, it gives you the sort of adrenaline of the job and, um, which unless you've like done the job, you don't, you can't really. It's diff- it's difficult to difficult to understand the sort of adrenaline it gives you. Yeah, John, I was going to ask, um, like, if, if if you're covering a story like that, though, um, do you actually care? At the, at the end of the day, you've covered one of the biggest stories in in Premier League history. If you've if you've had to chuck out what you've written, you know, on with with like seconds to go, it's like it, it doesn't really matter, does it? In the end, when you've got it done. Uh, well, sometimes I've I've written some wonderful stuff that's never seen the light of day, um, if you can believe that. Why are you lying? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was I, I, again. I wasn't. I wasn't actually. Uh, I was only doing post match that day, so I wasn't doing anything live from the game. But I guess with something like that, something so monumental, you do do a lot of preparation. So you you, you you've got something to go either way. Um, but then you quickly chuck it all out of the window and don't use a word of it because what's unfolding in front of you is is just you know so big and, and so you know all those sort of um, you can't clever, prepare for it, can you? That's the thing. no all those cleverly crafted sentences you've done in the afternoon before are just are just meaningless um, and and you just don't use any of it and it's and it's all about 
Yeah, I mean, from a media point of view, I would say the best way of summing up that game was done by Martin Tyler. You know, that that was the essence of that game, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Dom, it's, uh, are you going to complete the hat-trick? Were you working that game? I'm guessing not. <laughs> I, I wasn't. I was, if we're doing our work, working weekends to sort of try and top Trump Jack, I did um, the first leg of the playoff semi-final between Crew and Southend the day before at Griffithy Road. Which <laughs> the only tenuous link is Crew also seeing Blue Moon. Um which I'd forgotten about until they were wandered up in the second half against Southend. It was like, ah, does that mean anything? Probably not. Um, yeah, so I was I was sitting in the stand opposite the press box the Etihad that day in in the uh, in the seats and yeah, behaving in a way that would be entirely unacceptable in the press box. Yeah, unless John- you're at Anfield. <laughs> well, <laughs> quite. Uh, John, I was going to say you were sat near the press box. Were you? Was that was that where you were? Well, I I was in the press box. Oh, you were uh, in that because I, I seem to remember you saying that that because it was it was so packed you couldn't really get everybody in. No, I was I had a seat in the press box, but I, um, I also obviously have a season ticket which I've had for a long time, which is with uh, family and friends. So I I decided to because I wasn't doing anything um, uh, immediately after the game. I decided to take my take my usual seat with everybody, and um, which is. Yeah, about 10 rows back from the pitch. And um, yeah, so I was quite fortunate, really, that I didn't. I, w- I was able to celebrate the goal. So um, yeah, when Sergio scored, I, I, I decided, I don't know what went through my head, but I decided that I was going to run on and join in the celebrations with the, with the players and then got to the, uh, got to the gate and thought, yeah, probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> I, was, well, I was going to ask, did either of you go on the pitch in the end? Dom, did you go on the pitch? I was in the third tier, so it would have been a pretty uh, a trek. A bit, yeah. Once you've run all the way down that turret, you've really probably lost, <laughs> lost all enthusiasm, haven't you? Yeah, um, Jack. It's uh, in terms of a story. We Guardiola was talking uh, there about how only sport can do this sort of thing. Um, how rare is this sort of story? Uh, really rare. Yeah, like doesn't ever happen. That's that's why the story was so. I mean, I'm just trying to think of anything that would run it. Close, yeah. Are you saying you'll never see anything like this ever again? Uh, in a slightly high pitched voice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I know. Is, is there anything that sort of runs it close? I mean, as a one off moment, I suppose there's the um, 99 Champions League final. Um, there's the, yeah, there's the uh, Arsenal, Arsenal Liverpool. and Liverpool, yeah. Yes, but I mean, look, that's 30, what's that, 31 years ago, isn't it? Long time yeah. ago, yeah. Yeah, is it? I mean, you mentioned as well, uh, like press box etiquette as well, because um, obviously press boxes, you you you're not supposed to react to goals and stuff when when your team scores that sort of thing because you're supposed to be impartial. Um, is it is it impossible not to get swept up in stuff like that though? Uh, the first ever sort of cup finally uh, game that I covered was West Ham against Blackpool in the Championship playoff final, uh, which would have been two thousand and. 13 I think oh no it was 2012 actually it was like a week after this game after the, this game we're talking about and uh, obviously I'm, to anyone that listens to this regularly will probably know that I'm a Blackpool fan and I sort of did a fist bump punch under the desk and a colleague that was sat next to me like looked at me as if I'd like I don't know <laughs> ran over his cat uh, <laughs> and then backed into his cat again after I'd done it, uh, so I so I would never ever do that ever again. Um, but I do see it 
Like I think we all see it at, at grounds, particularly in um, particularly when we do Champions League games uh, away from away from home uh, in Spain or places like that, where you get sort of um, supporters, or well, journalists, um, not scared of, not shy of hiding their hiding their feelings. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've seen I've seen people crying out for players to get sent off in a in a press box before, which is. Yeah, it's mad. Yeah. John, you need yeah. to behave yourself more. Well, earlier that season, um Old Trafford was a tough that was a that was a tough one to control because um, you know, as as the fifth and sixth goals were going in and Old Trafford was empty and it, it was you know, it was just extremely enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, um and and then the other memories, the sort of memories as a journalist that season was the game against United at the Etihad. Where post match, um, obviously, I mean, you know the score. It's uh, it's it's very straight. Um, the managers are on their best behaviour. Um, you know, they get thrown questions, but they, you know, Mancini straight bats them. We know we've not won the title, that sort of thing. Um, but you know, it felt like a, mon- a monumental night. Um, and then about ten minutes after Mancini had left, Liam Gallagher stormed into the press room, swearing and. Going, come on, and all you know, we're going to win the league and everything. Followed by Vincent Company sort of trying to drag him back out, out, out back into the press room, <laughs> uh, back into the dressing room. So he was like, "Come on, ask me anything. Go on, we're going to win the league and all this." So yeah, that was pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, Jack, have you have you any regrets that um, you weren't in the stadium to see it? Because obviously it's been replayed time and time again. But uh, there's there's kind of a, a kind of professional regret that you weren't able to cover it. Uh, yeah, definitely. Although I didn't start, I didn't move up to Manchester from London until 2016, so I missed it by a, a, a good big, chunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my sort of um, relationship with City is is tied to Guardiola, really, um, and it'll be uh, it'll be a very strange sort of atmosphere for me when Guardiola does leave because I've not known I I was working three three months Pellegrini was here while I was working uh in fact one of my first press conferences was that press conference when Pellegrini said he was he was off um so yeah that'll be stranger for me um that when he when he's gone because at the time you know I was a just a normal football fan just watching it unfold I didn't think I didn't think I'd be sort of entrenched in the, in the club sort of 10 years later. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, I didn't, it's not something you really, you really think about. Yeah. And Dom, 10 years ago, um, it's, it's like time flies, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely mad. It, um, it's one of those things that sort of simultaneously feels like it happened five minutes ago and a lifetime ago. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, <sighs> Yeah, your sense of time trying to remember a moment like that, that is just, I mean, this has been over and over and over, but it was just so absolutely surreal and like almost hallucinogenic in the ground that day. Like I'd I'd completely lost the thread of how long was left. I thought when Dzeko scored, they were just going to kick off and it'd be full time, whereas there'd only been about a minute of, of injury time. And... I mean, I, I don't know whether this was sort of like the tension of it or the blood pressure or whatever, but I swear to God, when the... So I, I'm on the opposite side of the cameras. So I got a mate who sat on the other side 
who thought Aguero had taken the touch and it had gone it gone too far wide. From where I was sitting, when he took the touch, I had a split second of, oh, he's going to score, going to win the league. And everything seemed to like slow down and everything sounded like my head was underwater. It was so weird. Um, yeah, so it seems long, it seems a long time ago, but my concepts of time on that day, and maybe this is also affected by what was consumed afterwards, um, is a little bit all over the place. But yeah, it's, it's just insane. It, it's still hard to compute that all that actually happened, even when you've watched it so many times over and over and bored people with the stories of, of it, which we're all going to do again. I know I was like laughing about being at Wigan before, but like it was incredible because no one was watching what was going on at Wigan. <laughs> I was going to say honestly, well, yeah. genuinely, like everyone was fixed to actually Twitter at the time. Everyone was just like transfixed on what was going on at both Sunderland and and City at the time. Yeah, did uh, like, I'm going to run through you one by one to finish now, uh, and I want an honest answer. And I'll start with you, Jack, as the as the non City fan here. Um, did you expect that uh, as that game was ticking towards the end that United would win the league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dom. Um. Yeah. Yeah, John. Yeah, definitely. To the point where I was almost annoyed at Jacko for scoring. <laughs> yeah, same here. Uh, for giving a couple of minutes of hope. Yeah, after the Jamie Mackey goal, I was like trying to work out for how long I'd like withdraw from society for. I was like, I was working from home and reporting in the northwest, and so I thought, well, I don't need to. The football season's over. I don't really need to have to go out. I can log off Twitter for a bit, log off Facebook for a bit, go and get food from inside. I, I, I was I was planning a sort of Howard Hughes couple of months of just not talking mm. to anybody. Uh, but that was not that wasn't necessary in the end, so all good. Yeah. Now it wouldn't be a proper Blue Moon podcast if I didn't rinse my archive of interviews with City's team from the comeback against Gillingham at Wembley in 1999. So here's that little piece of inevitability: Sergio Aguero's goal in stoppage time in May 2012 is now City's most famous last-minute strike. Before that, though, many would have pointed to Paul Dickoff's in that Gillingham match. When I spoke to them all for a documentary a few years ago, I got their reactions to that Aguero winner in 2012. To me, it seems quite clear. For a long time, people said that the comeback against Gillingham would never be bettered. But in May 2012, it was. It makes you think exactly who's pulling the strings in the grand scheme of things. It was immense. It really was. You can only say pure City. You all know the story. City, after a season at their lowest ever point, found themselves 2-0 down heading into stoppage time of the playoff final at Wembley. Kevin Horlock made it 2-1 in the 90th minute, and then in the 95th minute, Paul Dickoff equalised, and City went on to win the game and win promotion on penalties. For that reason, Dickoff's equaliser is often compared to Aguero's winner. It's humbling for me, you know, because I, I don't think it's any secret that um, I'm a City fan myself and I love my time there, so to, to have that sort of stuff thrown at me, I get quite embarrassed sometimes, especially when you look at the, the quality of Aguero to the quality that I had, you know, it's, it's chalk and cheese. Um, you know, some people have said Aguero stole my thunder a little bit, but there was nobody um, more delighted than me when he scored that goal. Many of the 1999 team were in the Etihad for that QPR game. Here's midfielder Jeff Whitley. It was immense. It really was. Our part to play in, you know, where City are today is something that I think will be remembered forever. Um, you know, we 
tried as a squad to achieve as much as as much as we could. We obviously didn't win any big cups or anything like that, or win the Premier League. So to actually be there when Aguero put that goal in, I got to tell you, you know, I was in tears that 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 day. I really was. I was in pieces. I just I was just running like a madman, jumping on it. Anybody. The captain Andy Morrison told us he wasn't expecting the match to be like a blast from the past. Aguero's goal was just it was staggering, like you know, and to see the reaction of grown men around me and grown women around me, you know, um, it really was special. And again, it was that, that was a feeling of relief because we turned up with a QPR game and, and I'm as guilty as anyone, you know, I did an interview before the game with the radio and it was about, you know, this is our destiny, we're, we're here, you know, we've, uh, we've worked so long for this, you know, we've got the right players, we're in the right place, you know, this is not about um, Manchester City, the ones who fall flat on their face, this is a different era now, and there, there we were again, and it was incredible. He says he dreads to think what would have happened if Aguero hadn't found the net. It would have been batting down the hatches, really, and turn the phone off and keep your head down for two or three days if we'd, if, you know, if we'd uh, drawn that game and, and United had... It doesn't bear thinking about um, the ridicule that uh, you know we've had to face as a group, um, and you know uh, I just felt that it was for me. It wasn't so much um, celebration; it was just relief. It was relief, you know. It was oh my god, you know, if that hadn't happened, it would have been. Horrendous. Striker Gareth Taylor came off the bench that afternoon at Wembley as City searched for a way back into the game. It was 1-0 when he joined the action and 2-0 shortly after. He thinks that Aguero's goal gave him a new perspective on that game from 99. I actually turned to my wife and said, I know how you felt now at Wembley because it was horrible for me watching it. I think if you're involved out on the pitch, you're not feeling that tension and that emotion from the supporters. You've got it in your mind, obviously, we're up against it and we need to do something. But you can do something about it. And when you're in the stands with the rest of their supporters, I was, God, I must have aged. His kids, like many others of that 99 team, are now City fans. My youngest son is 10 and he's a huge City fan. And just the emotion at the end of, of, of lifting him up in the air. And I, I know how those supporters felt now back in back in 99, you know, so it's great. It's, it's really good. Andy Morrison had exactly the same experience. It makes you think exactly who's pulling the strings in, in, in the grand scheme of things. Because, you know, I, I've experienced it as a player and then I experienced it as a fan, you know, with my son and who's grew up now and he's blue, you know, he's blue through and through. And, and it was surreal, really, you know, for Jekyll to score the goal that just seemed to be a bit of a, you know, oh well, same as what Kevin Horlock's goal was. And you know, when Jekyll will be, won't be, will be remembered similar to Kevin Orlock. You know, nobody knows who remembers who scored the first goal. You know, and it was about Aguero and Dickoff. Jeff Whitley's experience of the day was very similar too. It was good to be on on sort of both sides. You know, obviously being at Wembley was was an immense day for the players, the fans. Because it was a long, a long season, so being there as a player and being there as a fan was truly emotional. It really was. It was just uh, it, it, people say, "Oh, you know, no, nobody top top Wembley and the way it finished." But you know, Aguero's goals, way you know, he is up there. Joe Royal was City's manager for the game at Wembley in '99. He thinks there was only ever going to be one way that the club would win its first Premier League title. 
and it wasn't the easy way. You can only say pure city, city items. Amazing, different players, obviously, and, and then you've got to say a different standard of players who are full of top-class current internationals and... Uh, and top players. City fans have certainly been lucky to see the quality of players they have in the last decade and more. Andy Morrison believes that the supporters deserve it for the loyalty they showed in the late 90s. We had 30 odd, 32, 35,000 from sort of January onwards at home, every game was sellouts, you know. And I, I never forget that incredible loyalty. And that's what they do, they follow their football club no matter where it is. You know, hell or high water, shit or champagne, they're, they're, they're there. So, you know, if any group of fans ever deserve to be getting the players and buying the players that we're buying now and being in a position to stick your chest out and say, you know, that's my football club, look where we are now. Um, it's them fans. The goals by Paul Dickoff and Sergio Aguero were 13 years apart and both mean so much to City fans. But for the players of that 1999 team who still hold City close to their hearts, witnessing the title-winning strike in 2012 must have been a really surreal experience. There's not many who will ever get that range of emotions from despair to delight, both on and off the pitch at the top level. Hi, this is David Bernstein and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. A look at the reactions to Aguero's goal by the previous City team that was famed for a last minute comeback. Two fresh faces now. I'm joined by Howard Hockin. Hello. And Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. Um, Howard, I'm going to start with you. How, how important was the 2012 QPR game um, in comparison to that 1999 Gillingham game? Now there's a question. <laughs> nice and I easy think, to start with. I think you'd split it up between important for the club and important for fans because I'm going to give you a bit of thought. I don't. If City hadn't got up in 1999, it's very possible that they may have stayed in the third tier for a while. Maybe not. And I don't know how that would have affected the new stadium and everything that followed until the take the takeover of 2008 may all have been different because City had to be in a certain place within nine years later to have been taken over. I think the stadium would still have happened, but I do feel that City had obviously might be bigger than everyone else in their division, but they had no right to come up and they made, as we saw by how difficult it was to do it anyway. I wonder if they'd have stayed there for many more years. And the ripple effect of that is, you know, it could have gone on for decades I think 2012, though, is more important as a fan because of the circumstances on the last day. And I feel that if City had had Chelsea away on that last day and not beaten them and United had won the league, that would have been easy to accept. But to have been at home to QPR, been leading, then then have a man extra as well and mess it up, I feel the way the day turned out with those late two goals, that would have destroyed me as a fan, probably scarred me for life. That I actually think that turnaround in the QPR match was more important to me, just for my state of mind and for the future thereafter. So yeah. I think, yeah, because of how the day turned out, I think the QPR match 
does become more important to me as a fan. Uh, Chris, I mean, are the goals even comparable in that sense? Because if you think of Dickoff misses, maybe City don't go up but and, and they, they dog around in, in the lower leagues for, for quite some time, but eventually they do get up. I don't know. Maybe they never come back up and maybe, maybe as Howard says, they uh, they end up really, well, doing a Leeds and taking forever to, to kind of get themselves back on the map. Um, but if Aguero misses, then... You know the knock-on effect is maybe they don't win the league the next season. Maybe it has such a damning effect to the the mentality of the club. Maybe maybe the club sits there and thinks, well, you know, we're, we're we're just we're destined to never do this, and you know they go through this spiral of, of of really just not achieving what they should achieve. Maybe that happens if Aguero misses. So can you compare the goals in that sense? I think you can, but I think the the Dickoff goal is more kind of important because. We could have absolutely carried on, you know, plummeted the uh, the typical city um, tag that we did have would potentially have like just spiraled out of control. I mean, going down to get to the stage where you need a playoff final victory to get out of like the third tier was pretty much summing up typical city in terms of you know. Cups for cock ups and and, yeah. and spoiling things, and if Dickoff had a skewed it wide, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, I love the guy, obviously, not just for that, but he was a you know he, he fought tooth and nail f- for the club, but he wasn't always the most clinical finisher, um, and it wasn't like you know when, for instance, Aguero. When you see Aguero in a position like that, you pretty much assume he's going to bag. Not so with Dickoff, and to see it go in top corner and basically pull us out of, you know, the the pits of Mount Doom, it was, I think, far more important. Um, yeah. We we didn't have millionaire backers, billionaire backers. There was no, oh well, we'll just we can at least throw a bit more money at it next season. We're absolutely loaded. Um, you know, we'll have Scunthorpe quaking. <laughs> next year and probably do it whereas if Aguero misses yeah it would have been absolutely horrible I mean it would have been awful especially with United um, reaping the benefits but yeah for me the, the Dickoff goal you know I mean it's not I'm not obviously not the first person to have said it but without that goal the Aguero goal doesn't happen anyway yeah what, what do it's you like reckon a really, that- really historic assist yeah, what 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 do you reckon, Howard? If Aguero misses, does City does City simply win the league again the next season? Uh, probably because Ferguson would have retired there and then because he was probably holding on for to win a title. So he stayed one more year, won a title, retired, and we all know what happens to United thereafter because ah. that, that was a squad being held together by him anyway. So I. It would have scarred me for life, but I think the players prob- maybe would have got over it. And I think they would, you know, I don't think it would have knocked the club back, the results and, uh, you know, future seasons that badly. I think it would have just hit me personally because because it was against United, because it was our chance. And it was another typical City, you know, to, to beat QPR, which we were expected to do. If we'd failed to do that, then the typical City would have been back in force. And it was like... We always mess up, you know, in our big moment, and 
then again, you know, United just won the treble when when we were at the playoff final. You know, United always hanging there, hanging around in the background and were always like were in the shadow for a while. So I don't think it would have knocked City with as Chris said, with billionaire owners who would have come back from that. The team still a hugely itself. attractive proposition, weren't we? I mean, yeah. aren't we? we? You know, it's like whereas the other scenario, not so attractive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even less attractive once you've been in the third tier for more than one season, then that supposed advantage you have is is lessened. But yeah, I think City, it might have knocked them back for a bit because even as a player, that's going to be a, an appalling experience if they hadn't turned it around against QPR. But once a new season starts, maybe they come back more determined than ever to win the league. So yeah. I think, yeah, one hits the club more and one hits the fan base more if they turned out different ways like sliding door moments yeah chris how how lucky do you feel uh because like most clubs most clubs fans don't get to experience that once and we've had this twice we've had it at the at our lowest ever point and our highest ever point so how lucky do you feel to get that exceptionally lucky like I, there's few uh i mean i don't know of any equivalent um, fan bases with an equivalent experience uh, of that kind of roller coaster, and you know, navigating the doldrums like we've done, um, blasting out of it like in an absolute ridiculous fashion, and then carrying carrying on resurgent right to the absolute pinnacle of of English football and, and winning it like that. I don't know if there is a frame of reference. I certainly didn't have one until it happened and it was yeah just like absolutely defining in terms of like <laughs> it sounds dramatic but just like just the impact it had on um like how I was saying as a fan but just on on you as an individual when you're so wrapped up in the the culture of of a club that you support and that you love it's just an amazing defining moment of your of your life really I just, it was just unbridled joy um i remember at the time just like looking at my brother and sister going what do we do (laughs) (laughs) whilst jumping up and down screaming just like shaking our heads crying going whoa what do we do now what do we do with this it's just yeah how how do you how do you fathom it how do you process it how are you lucky how are you are you quite um are you, in a in a strange sense are you really happy to see that a lot of the team from 99 were kind of in and around city at, at the time when aguero scored that there's a lot of those players that were were in the etihad um a lot of them were saying things like uh, well i experienced it as a player and then i experienced it with my family because my children are all city fans now it, it's it kind of it's kind of a link to from from the new city to the old city isn't it yeah i i'd love to see the yeah the old players uh, still there now, still you know some work for the clubs, some ambassadors, some you know have professed that love for the club. I always found it quite weird in a way when we were terrible. How many of our the players that came through, and obviously they didn't just play for us; they played for loads of other clubs, or you know at least a few other clubs. How many of the players, even though they were here during difficult times, you know the club like did something to them. It's like they, they fell in love with the club, even though it wasn't, you know, it's easy. I think it's easy for someone, a player now, like Bernardo Silva, to fall in love with City because look what he's experiencing as part of this team under Pep Guardiola. But even during our dark days, it's, 
it does warm my heart in a way to see players, you know, even though it's a roller coaster ride, that even after they've left, they a little bit of the club stays with them and they still follow the club and they still come here and watch them. I think it's really special. Do you think they would if we were rubbish? What, right so now? Well, yeah, like, do you think like, oh yeah, I played for them back in the day and uh, now I get free tickets and it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> and if we were like absolutely, you know, rubbish. Like, <laughs> you being c- a bit, bit cynical. You, you there, cynic, like. yeah. I was going to say. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Chris, I mean the the other side of it is you think of of the, like the feelings building up to the goal in in '99, and then the feelings building up to the the Aguero goal. I mean, how how were you feeling in kind of like the the build up to both of those the, those goals? Because like like at Wembley, it, it it was that kind of sense of impending doom. Was it the same for for the Aguero one? To be honest, yeah, I just hundred percent thought it wasn't going to happen, but also wasn't going to walk away from it just in case it did. But just to, just for the the sort of um, you know the sort of adamant, uh, yeah, I stayed till the bloody bit. I mean, I didn't go in '99, but you know, in terms of like you know switching it off or putting a brick through the telly, <laughs> uh, I couldn't afford to go. But in 2012, obviously, loads of people left, and there was nowhere I was leaving. It's like it's just not um, not my style, really. If I'm going to have a something to to complain about, I want the whole the whole shebang to complain about, <laughs> not getting out of it. Yeah. How yeah. Did, did you ever consider leaving? No, no, no. I, I, I'm actually too dejected to move. So, uh, I think, but I think 2012 was worse because I had a really long run up at the dejection from the what 66th minute was it that QPR took the lead? I had oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I had 25 minutes to dissect why my life had been a failure and terrible and everything was wrong <laughs> and I supported the wrong football club. Whereas Gillingham all happened very quickly, didn't they? They scored too late and then it was like, I had just 10 minutes to think, well, we've lost this individual match and good God, yeah, next season's not going to be fun uh, anymore. And yeah, just the run-up for the Aguero goal was just so much worse for me. It was just because... It, because we didn't equalise immediately and the clock started ticking down, I just like I went to went very low places as a football fan, probably lower than a relegation, I think, because I just once we'd taken the lead and gone, you know, I just thought it we're gonna cruise to a title. I just saw it all slipping away. So yeah, no, there was never I'll still stay to the end because you just never know, really, do you? And we did, yeah. Obviously, obviously, if we were needed two goals with about a minute to go, I don't think I'd have stayed for the final whistle. But it never got that impossible that that you'd leave. You know, it wasn't worth staying till the end. So I don't yeah. think I want to have heard the final whistle if we'd been if it was an impossible task and we were say two or three goals behind with a minute to go. Yeah, Chris. Did I mean were, were the thoughts running through your head of uh, like what you were going to do if 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 City didn't do it? Well, yeah, not so much what I was going to do as just just kind of mapping out the despair um, and how I was going to feel. And it was such a nice day and just like, you know, like pathetic fallacy. It's like maybe maybe when we walk out of the ground, the sky will just cloud over like the end of Ghostbusters and like <laughs> some, something biblical will pour out of the darkest point in the, in the, in the clouds. It did and for the Wigan Cup final. 
<laughs> it started yeah. raining as I left the ground. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was like it would have been like a culmination of all those, you know, all those days when you um, you have to go into school after City have got hammered and United have won. Uh, sometimes the same game, um, <laughs> and you just have to you just have to you know grin and bear it. But that would have been like on a massive scale. Walking back to town in glorious sunshine, absolutely, you know, despairing. When it could have been the biggest party you've ever seen, and instead you have to kind of scuttle through because United will be gearing up for their party because they've done what you wanted to do, and we've lost it in just the most ridiculous, typical city esque type fashion. But yeah, I was, I was just trying to trying to kind of square it with myself. And at the same time, leave a little room for that that inkling, uh, that kind of glint of hope. And uh, thankfully, that's what happened. Yeah, it's the hope that kills you, though. That's the uh, that's the thing with the football fans. Hope that kills. It you. is. It certainly is. But you know, something's got it, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, now, back in 2012, the Blue Moon podcast was a very different program to what it is today. The show was fortnightly, and most weeks it had the same group of City fans on it me, Dan Burns, and Paul Atherton, with Howard here pre recording his editorial pieces. It was only the third year we'd been doing the show, and we got in at the right time, seeing FA Cup success in our second season and City's first Premier League title in our third. Sam Roscoe's been looking back at how we were all feeling during the run in of 2011 12. <laughs> We like to think that the Blue Moon podcast is always level-headed when it comes to both praise and criticism of Manchester City. Maybe that's the reason why the mood in the studio in April 2012 was quite relaxed. Or maybe it was more to do with the fact that we only used to record the podcast once a fortnight. It meant that episode 18 that season began with reviews of three games. The three-all draw with Sunderland the 1-0 loss at Arsenal and the 4-0 win over West Brom. Dan Burns didn't really know how to feel. Had we have done this this podcast on Monday, I think that there would be a, a real different feel between the three of us. I think now uh, there's a little bit of renewed optimism, there's a belief there, and it's not really due to anything that we've done. It's more big thanks to, to Wigan, uh, because the last fortnight, and certainly the first two games, we've been shocking, and we've shot ourselves in the foot. And we've probably throwing it all away in, in those you know in, in that fortnight but there's renewed hope after the defeat to Arsenal City slipped eight points behind United with six games left and Dan wasn't impressed massively massively disappointing I think for me that's possibly the, the, the poorest display from City this season shocking I thought it was lifeless thought it was limp I thought that we offered little to nothing but by the time of the podcast the gap had become five points in the midweek, City beat West Brom at the Etihad and United lost at Wigan. The headline from City's match was that Carlos Tevez had scored his first goal after returning from exile. I've got to be honest, I did find it quite difficult to uh, to, to celebrate the fact that, that, that Tevez had scored. I think it was more the fact that it was a City goal. Um, you know, Not forgiven, not forgotten really what went on. And football fans, yeah, we can be fickle. If he gets the winning goal... Um, against United, then gets the you know a winning goal against somebody which which ultimately catapults us to to top of the league. Um, I'll probably change my tune, and I'm not yeah. going to lie about it. I'll probably come on here ranting, raving. If over the summer he turns around and he says, "I'm very sorry for what I did last season. I've got my head screwed on now. I want to stay." What's the answer? Yes. 
<laughs> definite yes from Paul. I, I, I'm, I'm with him, to be honest. I haven't, got a, I haven't got a clue. Not many better strikers out there than him. Tevez hit the headlines in the next match with a hat-trick against Norwich. Tevez and Aguero, they were both fantastic, weren't they? Well, it leaves you asking the question. You can't help but ask the question, can you, what if? I mean, Tevez and Aguero looked frightening in that game. You've got to, you've got to ask, what if they've been here all season? Yeah, I, I said to you about, you know, Tevez could well stay because Balotelli's always linked with uh, with Italy and Milan and Inter. And... Uh, Jacko, Jacko's, Jacko, not, Jacko's yeah, not made an appearance in these two games. Bundesliga, he's been linked with uh, Bayern Munich, hasn't he? So, you know, none of their strikers' uh, future is certain, so he could well stay. The mood for this show was a lot more upbeat, as you might have been able to tell there. That's because by the time the boys were back in the studio, the picture had changed again. City had also beaten Wolves at Molyneux on the day that United drew 4 all with Everton. The title was back in City's hands and Dan was impressed with how City had battled out of their slump. I actually think the Wolves' performance is better than the Norwich' performance for the simple fact that the pressure was on. They knew they had to do it. Wolves came out and had a real good go. But once City got that goal, you were always confident. Yeah, OK, we needed to get that second goal. But I think the Wolves' game is probably going to, you know, when we look back at the end of the season, that's probably going to be the one game we look as, as a turning point of the season. Paul, meanwhile, was impressed with Roberto Mancini's strategy. I think uh, Mancini's played a blinder by playing it all down, and he's played the derby down a bit as well, because it's taking the whole pressure off the players. And if they, if they slip up now, you know, United have got that advantage. I mean, the coincidence—it's not. I don't think it's a coincidence that City have suddenly started putting the away performances in since Mancini's been saying, "No, it's over. It's over." This was all in the build-up to the Manchester derby. It's fair to say the boys were feeling bullish, but nervous. If City are going to win the league, is it going to be on goal difference? Now you beg the question because, because, we are, because, we're, we're, because we're already you, predicting this this one game. I think if United, um, if, if City beat United, I think it all depends on how they. You know, when you look at the game, are they there for the taking? Oh, massively, massively. Yeah. We saw that at the beginning of the season. We went to Old Trafford. They're there for the taking. They, they, are, they are, as now Quinn said, who's the happier camp now, City? Or United City, obviously. I'd, I'd rather it? answer that question on Monday evening, to be <laughs> honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. If I've got any fingernails left by the end of the game on Monday, I will be happy. I'm just, I am so nervous. I am so, so nervous. To be fair, it was a tense night at the Etihad. Vincent Company scored the winner in the first half, and City went back to the top of the table on goal difference. United had parked the bus in an attempt to kill City's momentum, but it just didn't work. Tempers flared on the touchline too, as Sir Alex Ferguson snapped in the second half. It was funny to see, you know, how riled Ferguson was. He never gets like that, does he? Who, who is Alex Ferguson to complain that somebody is moaning to the fourth official? That doesn't he just, make he any sits sense. there staring at his watch, doesn't he, when he's next to him? It's ridiculous. And um, Mancini didn't res- um, referee the game. He didn't have a chance. Rooney yeah. was doing it for him. He didn't have a exactly, chance. Exactly. It's good to see Fergie getting rattled. It was Newcastle away up next for City, and Paul was feeling the pressure. If we win it, and we win it deservedly, then it's a different thing, isn't it? It's, we've overcome this tough opposition. You know, it, it could be could be good. Even though I'm nervous, I'm confident. I think the players are going to come through. They know they have to perform now. They need to stand up and be counted for. Every other cliche. In the book. City came through with a very professional 2 0 win at St James's Park, and then we all know how it went on the final day. I still can't understand how a 38 game season comes down to the last 10 seconds. United champions for all of what, 30 odd seconds? We were off the off the top of the league. They scored about 20 minutes. We equalised to, well, we scored then about what, 44, 45, so we were off the top for about 25 minutes there. <clears throat> then for most of the second half, we weren't winning it. 
Um, yeah, but ultimately we did. And that's the only stat that I suppose matters to all three of us, really. I mean, it was just mental. It's fair to say that episode of the podcast was a little bit chaotic. To do it in what's coined as Fergie time, everything, to see Phil Jones's face, to see those fans on Matt today when they're the, all celebrating. The best bit was the fact that, <clears throat> you know, all those United fans at Sunderland will have thought they'd won the league. Brilliant. And then seconds later, it's been snatched from him, and it's and it's also I've done it. It's just it's still it's, it's very cruel because you know I, I was you know you'd feel, I was in pain for the twenty minutes of the last twenty minutes of that game. Would oh, you? I they, mean, they deserved to. It's hilarious. Pain, would would you have it rather? Is, yeah. Would you have rather won it this way, or just had a comfortable four 0 against no, QPR? No, way. Better, no better it, way. It's to better, win it. isn't it? It feels a hell of a lot better. It's still Total. not sunk in. At this time, the podcast was recorded on a Friday, and usually around nine or ten a.m. in the morning. So, to give you an idea about what the mood was like at that time in the morning, and five days later, Dan Burns was still on the champagne. We've covered plenty more Premier League titles in the years since on the podcast, but none more dramatic than the one back in 2012. It's hard to believe that it's ten years since those days in a small studio in Stockport. How time flies when you're having fun. These wings are made to Hi, I'm Paul Walsh and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So that was a look back at how we covered that 2012 title win on the podcast. I'm Sam Roscoe. I'm taking over the hosting duties for the final part of this show because... To finish, we are going to catch up with the three Blue Moon podcast regulars from back then. That means David Mooney is still here. We welcome Paul Allerton and, for the first time in a very long time, we welcome back the one and only Dan Burns. Uh, fellas, great to uh, speak to you all, the OGs of the uh, <laughs> the Blue Moon podcast. Um, what were your memories of that time? Let's start with Dan. It, mate, it was it was special looking back. Obviously, uh, I mean, there was so many emotions. I was listening to the package that was 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 put together. Um, there was so many emotions that were going through from the period of the, you know, the the Arsenal game where I think I needed seriously picking up off that studio floor in in Stockport that day. Um, when you think that it's 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 done and dusted, um, and then you know, obviously the the very end. Where you know the the euphoric, it was it was great to be doing it at that period. You know, we 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 first and foremost that you know the camaraderie that we were having, but also the 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 on the pitch kind of, I suppose, success, the belief, everything from the start of that season all the way through to then the potential capitulation after um, after Christmas, and then obviously what happened at the end. Like it was, I mean, I, I look back on it very fondly, and mainly, I probably because I'm not as involved and not involved anymore. It's definitely something that I uh, you know I hold fond memories of. You mentioned the Arsenal game, and one thing I remember is um, it take you quite a while to get to the studio because obviously where where you based. What was it like after a show? You know, after that Arsenal game, we'd done the show after that Arsenal game. Driving back for you, you was it a bit? Because we always say, don't we? It's quite a cathartic uh, process. It's almost like talking therapy, isn't it? Doing the podcast, and I think during that season when. You know, we, it was just incredible. We we're on the verge of greatness, and then there was a couple of setbacks. It was. It, it, do you guys feel the same? We. I know. I I know what you mean, Sam. I I, I wonder, Dan, though, um, that that Arsenal game because it was because the way the podcast fell because we only did it fortnightly. 
Um, you only you only had to do the drive like once a fortnight. We'd actually we'd we'd already cut the deficit by the time you're going back. So I think you got away quite lightly. <laughs> so on a, on a, of a morning of a of, of, of the podcast, I would I would drive in. Um, I at my work I had the um, I, I always had the the Fridays off. They were they were dead good with supporting me with coming up and doing doing this kind of stuff. It's just pure um, dedication, you mean, from yourself there. That, <laughs> that's isn't it, the man? one, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know. So I I I I'd drive up and you'd be thinking, you know, about what we were going to do and everything else. And um, I suppose in many ways, um, that was my almost like my my prep time in a weird kind of way, is thinking through like what I was going to bring up, what I was going to, you know, kind of. Um, knowing, having an idea of what, you know, would, would be asked. Um, so you'd, you'd go through the mill and go through the the, the kind of um, the rigmarole kind of in your mind. And then obviously we deliver it. And then sometimes I'd go away and, and you know, you'd think about what was said. And I used to, at Mooney's Well Awareness, I used to listen back to as much as I possibly could at that period. Um, and I had a weird thing about listening to the podcast back in the bath and stuff like that. And sometimes you know, you'd realise, no, genuinely. I didn't, realize, that is not an image I didn't need. I didn't I, need I, that I, image. Did, I, did, I didn't know realize, that bit. No, you'd realise genuinely when you were deflated. You'd realise genuinely when you were euphoric. And I think you can probably tell by my character as well. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of shines through in that way. Like when, I'm, when I was positive, especially when I was talking about Nigel De Jong in that era, you know, everything was very positive and radiant and stuff like that whereas of course when when things weren't great so i used to listen back and obviously like review what was done and you could see sometimes the emotion would come through do you know what i mean would be shining through in in, in certain instances i suppose none more so than the very final one that we did so yeah. we've established that dan likes listening to david in the bath <laughs> well um, dan, uh, paul how how did uh, you cope with the pressure of that running with united and what are your memories of the time any any listening to the podcast in the bath yeah, probably not as graphic as uh, <laughs> as the way Dan, Dan described it, but uh, yeah, I just remember it being it was great because sort of the journey of the podcast almost mirrored like you know it was kind of like a project where obviously Moon's had it a couple of seasons before we won the we won the title, moved it on, but the podcast kind of got bigger and bigger as City were getting bigger, and it was that challenge of having that on the field success, and it just it. It just sort of um, resonated, really. You know, it made it interesting. We're sort of watching all the games and digest them. And you know, as, as friends, we talk about a lot of the stuff off the air and talk about the city games in more detail. And you, you kind of would do otherwise. So yeah, it, it was really, it was really, uh, really fond memories. But I guess the fact that we were catching up so regularly added to the pressure, really. Yeah, we we were just pissing around though, me and you, because mm. we it just used to be a Friday morning sing song to and from the studio, didn't it, in the car? <laughs> it, whilst unemployed, yeah. Whilst so unemployed, I used to I, I used to ju- I'd pick you up because uh, I I completely forgotten we did it Friday morning, so I used to do that thing where I would turn up. I, outside I didn't know until you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd turn up outside wherever you were living at the time, uh, whatever uni accommodation you were at, and go yeah. and text you and say I'm outside, and then you'd be you'd, you'd go, oh, I'm five minutes away, and that'd be that'd mean I'm fifteen minutes away. Yeah, but at least you'd know I was only 15 minutes away yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. If there's no text, that's when you need to be worried. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, um, it, it, you know, it's that, that kind of echoes how serious the podcast is and what a good job, you know, you know, you and Sam have done over the years and kind of carrying it forward. So Moving it away from that piss around that we used yeah, to just, do. <laughs> yeah, piss around. Hopefully, hopefully our listeners still are like, you know, really enjoyed it and saw the quality, but just the way it's transitioned and, and sort of committed, like, you know, as a, as a product and sort of... Um, it's got a lot more crisp, I think, and a lot, you know, broader um, range of contributors. So, yeah, if it's good that you sort of painted, you know, what what was going on behind the scenes there, Moons and, and stuff, I think that's probably helpful for listeners. 
I've got to say, disclaimer here, I cannot take any credit whatsoever for the podcast because... Uh, no, 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 because I was going to say, I'm not really involved in it as much as I'd like to be anymore uh, for various reasons, mainly work and life, etc. Um, but when I do get involved, I still like to piss around and be very yeah. late, uh, <laughs> today being an example. Again, apologies, everybody. Um, David... For you, obviously, the podcast then, you just said, you know, it was, it was a bit of a piss around. You enjoyed it. You know, it was great to just talk football and it was just talking to your mates into a microphone. Um, were you being professional or was it just a case of just <laughs> enjoying yourself or was it like, you know, serious, serious football chat? I can hear the sniggering already from Dan there. Um because yeah, obviously I wasn't I wasn't being professional. I'm not even sure I'm doing that now. You know, I'm just doing things that make me laugh, and then like if that if it makes other people laugh and it's fun, then great. But if not, then at least I've had fun. Um, it didn't ease the pressure at all. I I I, I don't know. I, I actually I don't know. Maybe it did because um, you think of of kind of now and you have those guys. I mean, one of the worst podcasts I remember doing in recent memory is after it was the the day after we'd uh, lost to Spurs in the Champions League, um, where you know where Sterling had that goal VAR'd off, mm. and like picking myself up to do the podcast after that was just it was on the floor moment and just trying to trying to get up to to do it. I don't remember being like that in 2012. I remember kind of feeling the pressure about what City were going to do, but I don't like I, we didn't have any listeners, did we? So like it, like <laughs> nobody nobody really cared what we were blathering on about on the, with these games. Yeah, I was going to say, um, interesting, you you sort of gave us a little peek behind the curtain there of, um, of after a defeat, you mentioned that Spurs one. What was it like? Is it worse when you have to produce the show, like writing the questions down? Is that the worst part of it or is it the actual no. talking about it? No, that's all right, because um, that lets you process what's happened and yeah. it kind of gets you through it a bit quicker. It's that like, the panel find it quite hard these days because I, I, I used to give much more, like, many more opinions than I do now. Um, so like actually sitting down and writing the podcast is is the cathartic bit for me. Uh, and then when we get to record it, I've kind of moved on already. Um, but it's like the, the guys who were, who were talking about it haven't, and they're the ones that have to kind of relive it again. Um, so like, like you'd think of that, like one of the easiest one, well, actually one of the hardest ones to produce was uh, after that United game in the running where company scored in uh, like one nil at the Etihad. Um, because like it, it's really hard. Those games are, are, are really emotional and it's really hard to actually put into a, a focus of what you're going to talk about and what direction you're going to take the conversation in. And I wasn't like, I was, what what were we at that time? 22, 23, like if that. So it was like genuinely just a, a like, we turn up and see what happens when we turn the mics on. It wasn't, there was no, like not really any forward planning going into it. Um, whereas now I'd be stressing over what questions I'm going to ask. Um, aside from the obvious uh, QPR game is there a moment back then 10 years ago which feels incredibly weird still saying that now it's been 10 years um, but is there a moment that sticks out for you Dan in that sort of running and that that title win that that you know you always find yourself going back to Um, uh, do you know what I was thinking about this Um, I remember I, I was actually away on holiday for the Newcastle game I was away in Lanzarote and I watched the game in a bar somewhere. And I always always kind of think back to that as like, it, yes, okay, the the Aguero goal is the one that you think about. But when I think back to the running, I always think about that moment there, which which cemented it. Like you came away from that thinking, take this the right way. 
that the job was done. We were going to steamroll through QPR, you know, happy days. Um, and and obviously the performance of Tory on the day, you know, that was that was the one that sticks with me as being as being as being special because it was almost at that point it felt like I suppose the hard work was done. Do you know what I mean? It felt it mm-hmm. felt it, 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 one hand on 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 the trophy, you know. Um, Aside that, you know, we're, we're, we're poor, we were at home, oh, it was great. You know, we were going to wake up on the day. I mean, obviously I can recount the day and, and, and pretty much everything about the day. Um, and it was supposed to be so, so easy and simple. So I look back at that moment there um, and that was a, that was a, that was a special one. Um, a spe- and, and, and as well sounding daft, but a feeling that I'd never felt before in being a, in being a City fan, you know, in terms of that, hang on a minute, it's happening yeah, you know it's going to happen, and that was the point there that it was like, you know, maybe, maybe uh, too overexcited too soon, um, but uh, you know it was it was, it just felt like the not the, the crowning moment, but it felt like you know um, that was the moment it was done, and it'd be at a canter and uh, the the following weekend, which of course we all know wasn't it a canter? What <laughs> bloody fools we were! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I remember that really well. I was watching the Newcastle game in the pub with me, one of my best mates. And when that goal went in, we both like stood up and cheered. And for whatever reason, I got like a he gave me a dig, but he got me, it got me like right in the ribs, and I was like winded, but at the same time absolutely ecstatic. So yeah, I always remember that quite well, quite painfully as well. But um, yeah. Great game. And um, Paul, was there? Is there? A, you know, obviously, aside from the obvious Aguero moment and the QPR game, is there a one that you uh, you you recall? You remember a moment? Uh, not not so much a moment, but I'd say the six one um, that season versus United. You can't not mention that. I know it was early in the season, but we'd kind of been knocking on the door, had competitive derbies with them where we were unlucky, and you felt, you know, when are we going to shake this off? You know, the Michael Owen last minute, minute winner in the cup, for example, those sort of things sticking your side. And this was, we talked about one day we're going to, you know, batter them convincingly and be a better team. And that was sort of the day where I think things changed on that front. And that could have carried us through at the end of the season, really. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that momentum. I know Fergie was saying, you know, it could come down to goal difference and lo and behold, it, it did. And that game obviously helped with that. Yeah, certainly. Um, I really weirdly... Obviously, as you mentioned, the the six one, the Newcastle game, obviously the QPR, really sort of fond memories and really vivid. But I also really vividly remember Wigan beating United one nil in that midweek, which sort of was the start of the the tide turning, and then the four all at Old Trafford with Everton. Yeah, and then after yeah. that, it was City against Wolves, I think, wasn't it? Um, and that just turned out to be like an incredible day. Like that was one of those very similar to you, Dan, when you say, you know, the new, Newcastle was the point where you could see the finishing line and you could see that we were, you know, ahead. I think that w- those are the games where you could see us catching up to United and, and starting to get ahead and you could see, you know, start to see a glimmer of finishing first sort of thing. So yeah, those are really vivid memories as well. Uh, David, uh, finally from you, any more, um, any more moments that stick out? I think the the biggest moment and my favourite moment of the entire running is uh, Dan Burns here still being drunk the Friday morning for the <laughs> final <laughs> podcast of the season, um, just because he'd been on the champagne all week. 
<laughs> I, I, I've got an amazing story about that as well. So, um, so I, I, I watched the game. Ironically, I was, um, I was at Chester's ground and I was doing the stadium announcing um, uh, for a, a charity game. Jason Manford was playing in the game and he got injured at half time, so he could go to to the game to go, go to City and QPR. I watched the game in the bar there. Um, and surrounded by like you know, friends and family, uh, everything else. Obviously, everything's been 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 done. We've we've won the game in the way that we have. And we've gone home, and I deliberately bought a bottle of champagne, a really cheap, you know, bottle, uh, not even champagne, probably you know, just cheap plonk, really, as we'd call it, um, just so that I could spray it in the garden. My little sister is now twenty, so you can work out like you know, she's ten years of age. She's buzzing. She's got David Silva on the back of her shirt. My mum and dad have got a couple of bottles of champagne in the fridge. So there's actually a video of me getting the bottle and spraying it on my sister. And all you can hear in the background is my dad bollocking me going, son, you've got the wrong bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it cost me a lot more. But in that moment, um, I don't think I really cared. But yeah, to be honest, I drank far too much champagne um, over the course of that week. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, we were talking about our, our age and whatnot. Sometimes I look back and think, what a clown. Sometimes I think, look back and think, wow, I just enjoyed every single moment of everything that went <laughs> well, on. I've got every newspaper, <laughs> I've got it all. If you uh, haven't done so already, the 10th anniversary certainly would feel like a fitting time to repay your dad back and, and get him a bottle and, <laughs> and, and crack it open and have a glass with him on the 10th anniversary. Unfortunately, though, that is the end of this special edition of the Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you to all the guests that have taken part and thank you also... Uh, to listening for listening to the show if you do enjoy shows like this or the main podcast each week you can sign up to our patreon page you'll also get bonus podcasts each monday and the main show without adverts and it is only two pounds a month once again thank you very much to all of our guests on this special edition and thank you for listening and we'll see you all again soon the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast